actually do something uncharacteristic. I did go clubbing last night. Uh, Whoa! Yeah, I, I went up to, to Denver and there was this club that I went to. I don't even remember the name of it. I think it was like several clubs combined. Because I I never been to a club before. I don't know if they're all like this, but it was like several different floors of like different genres of music and stuff like that. And at first I thought there was just like the three floors that were kind of accessible from the outside. There was like the main floor, the one on the top, and then like the one below. Uh, but then I kept mm -hmm. exploring and there was like more. There was like, all right, oh, there's also like the disco area and the arcade and the other bar and the other bar. And it was all like oh, a what? fucking maze of like intricate party. I don't know what it was called. I think it was like the milk bar or something like that. Like, okay, it was just wild it was like every corner i went down it was like i was turning down another corner of madness and partying like just everywhere i go another genre another group of people partying in like this tiny little condensed two space. underground nightclubs in one yeah it was more than two because there's also like the rooftop <laughs> one they were closed down i think for like a wedding party that night uh, oh, damn. but normally there's like even like a rooftop party area like there's just parties all over this building it is just absolutely buck wild i've never seen anything like it it's like hell yeah like imagine being lost in one continuous party that never ends in like a million tiny rooms connected <laughs> by like tiny little hallways and no windows it was just it was crazy <laughs> what a vibe it was a wild vibe there was at least like a nice little outdoor area to like kind of rest up but uh, hell yeah yeah, that was that was my recent experience. That was that was my real lifing thing that <laughs> I had to bring wild. to the table. <laughs> what do you have? Um. Oh gosh, I don't know if I have anything. What What do I have Buck Wild going on or have done recently? Um. Mm, you 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 uh overcooked something in the microwave that one time. That was pretty crazy. Oh yeah, I did. I did. I did do that. Uh, I did overcook mm. a, a Totino's pizza in the microwave like yesterday, actually. Um, <laughs> I just called. I called that. <laughs> called that off the. We didn't talk about that. I just. Damn. I, <laughs> I'm so predictable. <laughs> I used to be zany and wild, and now I'm overcooking Totino's pizzas in my microwave. <laughs> <laughs> Predictably so, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have not gotten out recently, though. I need to. <laughs> Hey, well, maybe we can get out after we get to this week's game. You know, at least I'm not drowning in Burning Man. At least you're not drowning in mud at Burning Man. Thank God for that. <laughs> Dude, I'm, I know, I've like, never been happier to are. not go to Burning Man. Really? <laughs> you know personally yeah. people at Burning Man? Literally, oh, like, half of our work, like, half of the staff at work went to Burning Man. Like... <laughs> God. So I'm just like, who knows when they're going to get back now? <laughs> well, honestly, maybe it's good that you're avoiding all of the crazy real-life adventures because it seems like you may be having a better time of things chilling at <laughs> home than you do s trying to survive in the post-apocalypse situation that is now Burning Man. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> uh, so, what, what games have we got on the docket this week? Yeah, today we're going to- Oh, shit, we didn't do introductions. I just skipped ahead of that. Fuck, you're right. Who are you? Fuck. Who am I? I don't 
I don't even Who is think... this chump that claims to be qualified to talking about video games? <laughs> okay. Well, uh, let me tell you my name, and that will clarify that I have no clarifications whatsoever to 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 talk about video games. So I'm going to do it anyway. My name is David Baxter, and I'm not your dad yet. Uh, my name is Johnny Bartlett, and I'm your mom's dad. <laughs> We're the bundle bourgeoisie. There we go. Now we, now we did our intro. How about that? <laughs> uh, and we're this so week we're talking about arcade paradise and such art genius artist simulator hot brass tin can trek to yomi road 96 i'm you're, gonna you were say gonna 69 say 69 you were gonna today. you were gonna, it's gonna say gonna it. happen. it's gonna happen uh chivalry 2 and disco elysium i am definitely looking at the outline and not fidgeting with wire <laughs> Don't worry, I'll remove all of that, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> uh, so today we're going to be kicking things off with a little game called Arcade Paradise. Uh, the developers here are Nosebleed Interactive. Uh, they've only ever made these games that I've never heard of before uh, called Volstock Inc., which there's a poster for that like promotes it in the arcade in the game. Uh, and The Hungry Horde, which is a 2014 PSN Instant Games Collection classic. And mostly it seems like they do ports of games like West of Dead, Atomic Crops, Sniper Elite VR, that kind of thing. Uh, so this is kind of one of their few original games, which is interesting. Uh, this is published by Wired Productions. Uh, they did games like Grip Combat Racing, Deliver Us to the Moon, Avicii and Vector, and a bunch of other games I haven't really heard of. Uh, so this game is 19.99 on its own, uh, plus an additional 22.86 uh for the nine extra dlc games that they have as well as like the soundtrack and their high score edition uh it is a very positive rating on steam and uh, in the game you play as a teenager working at your father's laundromat in the late 90s you're tasked with doing other people's laundry while growing the arcade portion of the laundromat till it slowly overtakes the laundromat side of the business which can be a bit of a shock when you first hear the title of the game dropped off in front of a laundromat like, oh, oh, where's my arcade? You have to build it. Uh, you slowly work up uh, the money and you expand your collection uh, to include more cabinets until the arcade space slowly ends up taking over uh, the space for the laundromat itself. Uh, each of the arcade machines are like little fully featured mini games. Uh, each one is like a, usually like a parody of an existing game or other arcade classics like air hockey, that kind of thing. Uh, for example, there's one that's called like uh, Race Chaser, and that one's like a Pac-Man and GTA clone where uh, if you get caught by the ghost, it's like a police officer chase and you get out of the car and then you have to like run and find like another car and get into it in order to like keep going on that run. There's a bunch of others, you know, like a Candy Crush RPG, a Star Wars, an OutRun kind of mixed game. It's, it's a mixed bag full of a lot of classic games and uh, a lot of kind of remixed uh ideas uh, there's just just, just to, to to say the names of some of the cabinets i've unlocked at this point in the game we've got zombat 2 cyber dance blockchain stack overflow strike gold starring wood guy <laughs> ufo assault attack vector and more there's all kinds of, wow. I know, all kinds of crazy games. It, it's, it's, it's stuff that feels familiar without being entirely something that you've seen before. It kind of keeps things new while also playing to a lot of the same tropes that you'd come to expect from, you know, things that you'd play in an arcade. 
I've got to ask a real quick question here because I noticed something about that list that you gave me. Yeah. Is there any crossover here in Woodgal's Adventure and Strike Gold starring Wood Guy? I I can't tell. <laughs> I, is this I, an extended universe? <laughs> I, I will say Strike Gold is basically like um like Mr. Driller or, or that one game that that's that's like a puzzle game of where you're like drilling down through like a series of of colored blocks that like fall down. You have to try mm-hmm. not to get crushed by the blocks yourself. Uh, and then. The other game, Woodgal's Adventure, is basically like Bejeweled, but it's an RPG. Uh, oh. It's like Candy Crush where you have to like go through and like do like the match three minigame. And then like you have to get a certain number of stars in order to progress through the area. Because like these arcade games don't really work like real arcade games where they restart every time you put in a new coin. Like mm-hmm. most of them have upgrades and things that you can earn through subsequent playthroughs that make subsequent playthroughs easier or unlock new areas. So they're are ways that it kind of cheats where it's not like a real arcade game and especially in the visuals and the way that it looks as well it does things that it wouldn't be able to get away with in a real arcade game like r- like 3d graphics and you know stuff that you know it's it's like kind of faux nostalgia faux you might say arcade it's kind of a contemporary or modern take on what an arcade cabinet might look like in today's society Exactly, like a modern day recreation of what a 90s arcade cabinet could look like. Not necessarily going to the same standards that they would have been limited to at that time. There are, of course, the other minigames that you do as well just to like run the laundromat. There's this uh, recurring minigame where you just are transitioning loads of laundry. You're, you're putting stuff in the, in the wash and in the dry, uh, and then you have like a little watch that notifies you whenever... Uh, like a wash cycle or a dry cycle is done. Uh, so a lot of the game for, for quite a while uh, is just like going into your shop in the morning, cleaning the place up uh, and, and like doing all the cycles and then playing a game until you get that notification on your watch and then going to transition the loads and then going back and playing more arcade games until you have a time to transition the next load. Uh, it goes that way for a while. Uh, it keeps you engaged by giving you additional tasks and other things to do as well. Besides, you know, like the daily cleaning, you know, taking out the garbage, cleaning the bathroom and like unclogging the toilet, debugging arcade machines when they break and stuff like that. You'll also have to go through these like list of of challenges you'll get in your PDA because your dad is like kind of watching your business. He's overseeing the whole thing because he he owns the laundromat and he's letting you do it. He doesn't think that you're going to make anything of your life. He thinks that you're just going to like, you know, go through life taking the easy path. But this game is sort of about like choosing a more difficult path while also having fun at the same time and saying like, fuck you, dad, I'm going to make my money and have fun at the same time uh, by like Relatable. making something fun out of something that like was pretty drudgery and like kind of boring, you know, like uh, and, and throughout the game, you get emails from people that are like, I'm just so happy that you made something fun in this small town that like feels like nothing ever happens in. And it's like something that I can look forward to and like a community space that I can come back and enjoy. And it feels like a, like a community effort, even though whenever you walk up to anybody in this game, they phase out of existence like a weird <laughs> pixelated ghost. Uh, the, the presentation of this is something that I should touch on because it is very confidently presented, but is a little goofy in places where like you can't talk to people. People just phase out of existence anytime you look at them funny or get too close. Uh, but everything is presented like it's this fun exciting mini game pulling gum off of the desk is like this whoa yeah this crazy meter hit, hit, hit the meter at the top and max out the gum pulling stat 
you know, and it's it's goofy and fun. Uh, but at a certain point, obviously, that stuff gets kind of old. And eventually you do get upgrades uh, through accomplishing optional objectives through your PDA uh, that you can like use to to spend this like extra currency. The, the, the in-game explanation is that your dad works in like Britain or something like that. So he sends you pounds for completing objectives. And those objectives are things like go take a walk outside or uh, go do 10 laundry tasks or pull three pieces of gum. Uh, and then later on, they become things like uh, kill 30 zombies using a flamethrower in Zombat or uh, <laughs> literally. So your dad it, really comes around to supporting you in the end. <laughs> after a certain point. Yeah, he literally like it through. It doesn't ever say that he's doing this explicitly it's just like ostensibly these objectives are coming from your father apparently and he's like yeah i want you to ignore all of your laundry tasks today that was one that i got and i was like really dad really okay okay i'll ignore all my laundry for today and what i ended up doing because i got really tired of doing a laundry mini game as i just stacked up every single laundry machine and every single dryer completely full of laundry the entire laundromat is completely stuffed full and nobody can get any more laundry done like, yes and there's no consequence to me doing that the game doesn't get upset at me for doing there's no achievement for doing it either it was just i mean like, you probably don't get as much money as you would doing the loads right well i don't get any money for doing loads because i don't do the loads <laughs> exactly <laughs> after a certain point <laughs> that's your consequence after a certain point though it becomes like like you make more money from the arcade machines than you do actually cycling the laundry because the laundry you may get at most $30 for cycling it on time. Otherwise, you get like $5 for cycling it late, and that's it. By contrast, all of the, the coin hoppers that you get from the arcade machines, if you play them more, people will it'll get more popular and more people will play it. And so the, the item collects faster in the coin hoppers. So if you really like a game and you play it a whole bunch, then uh, suddenly it's making $100 a day. Uh, instead of like you know the five dollars a day that you know you're making from like doing random people's laundry, and then you put like five or ten arcade machines in there, and suddenly you're making bank just from playing arcade games. <laughs> Which <laughs> I don't know how realistic that is necessarily. Like I don't know that playing a game will necessarily make it more popular. Stuff like that's very gamified, sort of to make this work more as a individual experience. But I I I just I really enjoyed this game. It's a it's a strange little mini game collection with a meta connective tissue where you're this teenager in like the late 90s oh and i forgot to mention there's this really awesome like mtv segment right at the very beginning that just puts you in like the perfect sort of headspace for playing this game where you're like that rebellious like 90s teenager mtv attitude like that's the sort of vibe that this game goes for uh hell yeah i, I absolutely love it uh, and it's, the, it's just such a fun little game to like grind away at while you're like watching a TV show or something because it's usually just like keeping your hands busy doing something, whether it's playing the game or cycling the laundry uh, and just kind of slowly chipping away this like financial aspect until you've unlocked like all of the different games and you've fully upgraded the laundromat. And it, it's just a very satisfying gameplay loop of just closing out the day, collecting all the money and then ordering a new cabinet and the next day being excited at this new cabinet that you have and then saving up enough money in the next couple of days, maybe getting a couple of upgrades from these optional objectives you're completing for your dad and then uh, getting the next cabinet and slowly building up and up uh, and scaling up until you've like 
created in an arcade paradise. You don't you don't earn. You don't, you don't, you don't get given an arcade paradise. You have to earn <laughs> it. This one. Really living the American dream in this game. Yeah. Uh, I would say that if I had some nitpicks about this game, uh, the the animation that plays whenever like a washer or a dryer cycle is done. Uh, has like the hand go directly in front of the cabinet and it always fucking messes me up i always end up getting killed or like having something like obscured that is frustrating and it that was part of the reason why i stopped doing laundry as well because it was like man i keep dying or messing up because they keep putting his hand in front of the freaking screen uh (laughs) also like there are some like there's an actual computer that you use to like buy uh, a lot of the different stuff in this game, and for some reason the UI is just weird and clunky and sensitive on mouse and keyboard. It works fine on controller, but for some reason like the scroll wheel, especially going like up and down, is like extremely sensitive. It rockets to the top and the bottom of the page if you just so much as do a single click down on a scroll wheel. It's just like insane, and that there are some optional. DLC cabinets that I really wish were just included in the base game. Like, there's no pinball cabinet in the entire base game, and that feels like Oof. wasted. It's, you know, like certain games like that where it's like, come on, man, why wasn't that in there? Or like a fighting game. There's like a Kung Fury fighting game that's based off of like the Steam uh, Kung Fury like action movie that came out a while ago on Steam. Uh, it's 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 cool, and I'm glad I like that it's there, and I might buy it at some point. But it is also like basically doubling the price of the game to give you nine extra little mini games uh mm. which isn't the best and the repetitive mini games do get really old after a while you can get rid of them after uh you're getting certain upgrades but it's just it's the kind of thing where it's like you know you're you're playing the game to get rid of a part of the game that sucks that's kind of doesn't really make a ton of sense yeah but overall, this was a major saver. I really enjoyed it. It was a very creative minigame collection, a fun and engaging metagame around it. And the annoying parts were generally outweighed by the parts that were just really fun and engaging, operating your own little arcades, a fun fantasy. Uh, and I, I want to spend more time in this little world. It's, it's a fun one. Speaking of fun worlds that it's just uh, you want to spend more time in, our our next game here is Such Art Genius Artist Simulator. I fucked that up, didn't I? What is it? Genius? No, I got it right. Genius Artist Simulator. Yeah, you nailed hey, it. I didn't write the full caption in the second introduction of the game. This is a game created by Goose Minded, and this is their only game. It was published by Hyper Train Digital, who also did Void Train, Nova Lands, Truck World, Police Stories, a whole bunch of games. It'll normally cost $24.99 outside the bundle and has a very positive review, an overwhelmingly positive overall. And this is this is a first person artist simulator, BB. That's what it is. <laughs> it's that it's, you get a variety of different tools in your studio that you can use to make a ton of different art. You get like a spoon that you can splash art on the canvas with. You can buy like a squirt gun to like shoot what like paint like water on the <laughs> canvases. You can get stencils and different brushes and all kinds of little things that let you build art. And it comes with some like great mechanics and tools. There's there's some gameplay elements that are a little rough around the edges uh not like anything crazy but like the the amount of paint your brush can hold compared to some of the size of the canvas is like you can do like one little stroke and then you have to re-dip your brush almost immediately and some of the canvases are like the size of a wall so it can be a little tedious of like okay i did my three little strokes let me dip my brush do my three little strokes dip my brush do my three little strokes so but there's also a like 
there's an element of realism to that because a lot of the game is spent just managing your inventory and your paints and your palette. And it's like, uh oh, I'm out of black again, and I'm going to need a lot of black. So let me just go grab six bottles of black this time and just like <laughs> fill my one little squirt on my palette and then use that as much as I can and go on. So there's like, there's that element of like realism to it of like managing like your actual art supplies. But you have an unlimited amount of them. It's not like you're paying like per bottle for paint. You just have like a paint station that generates unlimited paint of whatever color you want. So it's not like you're not dumping money on these paints. Mm. It's just a time management kind of thing that you have to do of, of doing it in some optimal way or just yeah. running back and forth and doing this over and over again. I find this game just so fascinating because like there are tools like paint tool Sai and Photoshop that exist that would allow people to paint digitally, but that doesn't really <laughs> imply painting digitally. This is like the full is... experience of actually painting. <laughs> yes, this is a painting simulator. It is what like you are you are pen and paper like brush to canvas painting, not doing digital art, which is really interesting because you don't really get that experience in any sort of digital realm in any other way. Uh it's it's also got this really dope streamer mode that you can use that like accelerates the rate that you earn currency and earn your like fame and everything. Ooh. So you can just like blast through the entire of the story mode in like two hours in a single stream, basically. Um, it's like a very fun way of like, we're going to let you get to the meat of it while still playing the story and being able to do that with like other people. Oh, that's uh, you awesome. You don't earn achievements, but it's like, it's a fun way to not have to drudge through like, cool, I have to make 40 paintings to be able to buy my mini gun to paint with. Oh, that is nice. You can just instantly get to the fun parts of the game. Exactly. Like the parts that people want to see, like people, they know people are playing this game to like show off the art they're making in some regard. And so it lets you get to the point where you're just, and they have a creative mode too, where you just have access to everything. It is cool. that There is like a single player campaign though. I didn't realize that. Yeah, it is. And it's a really good, I'm going to segue into this really quick because the story, it's not super in depth, but like the 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 bit to it is that AI has taken over all of the artistic jobs in the world. They create all the art, but you have been found to have super artist genetic genes in your body. And so they've given you a studio and set you up to make human art alongside the AI with your superhuman ability to do it, which is like really cool. And that's kind of like the extent of the story. So you get commissions throughout from like your sister and friends and other people that are like, I really want a space whale painting. And so, like, you can go down and then paint a space whale and sell it to them and all that jazz. It's it's really cool because the, the story element of it kind of guides you if you're lost of, like, I don't know what to create and I don't know what to do. And this is all a little overwhelming because I have all these tools at my disposal, but I've never painted in my life. So it kind of guides you and gives you some prompts of, like, this is a thing you can do. So go paint this. And then you can run down and paint your little space whale or paint your two logos melded into one in which I painted Twitter and X into one logo. So you can like kind of it, it gives a good way to guide the experience to get people familiar with the tools and kind of push the boundaries of what they're doing and trying, mm. which is really great. And I think the storyline is really prevalent in today's society where AI art is becoming a very big thing. And there's a lot of artists that are really stressed out and worried about that. And the game does a really good non-nihilist way of presenting it as like a, yeah, this is a thing that's happening and AI art exists and that's what the world has moved to and is probably going to move through because art as a commercial product and a commodity will be mass manufactured the easiest and cheapest way regardless. But 
it can't replace the human element of doing things. And there's still some joy in creating and some joy in experiencing that, that like always intrinsically has value because you as the creator are making it in some regard. And so it's like this really great relationship of art and the humanity behind it, even with AI tools that like, I think it's an important talking point in our society that is really sold by the gameplay of this and not necessarily narrative elements because throughout the whole game, it's so much fun that like, no matter what shit you produce, it's always the best thing your customers have ever seen. Someone (laughs) can be like, give me a flying space whale and you paint them a dick and send it to them. And they're like, this is the coolest space whale I've ever seen. You're such an amazing artist. (laughs) (laughs) There's some great comedy that can come from that. I love that. Oh, a hundred percent but it's also like so validating too as a tool for artists of like it doesn't matter what i churn out it doesn't matter how bad it is it doesn't matter how much like mass produced shit is better than this i created this and therefore it has value because i put time and effort into it which is like it's so good and it's so it's such a validating and fun experience that like I, even as a bad artist, like got to make things that felt meaningful because when I made them, they they were meaningful to the computers that I were make, was making it for. So it's really good. It's really charming. I don't have many nitpicks on this game, honestly. I, I wish I could have streamed it at some point. I probably will when my internet gets better because it feels like a fun game to just like fuck around with and it's good to have just like a good time and I'd love to see just like the reactions of some of the art you can make and building some art as a community of like, what should I do now? Like, I, I think there's a lot of joy that could be brought from that and I honestly think the game could provide a good tool for like some capacity of brainstorming and planning out real art that you may want to make because it does have that realistic simulation element to it that like you can actually sort of like build a plan and put paint like put paintbrush to canvas and go oh cool this will kind of work and i could maybe translate that to a real world thing of like I can use this stencil in some regard in the same way of layering that I did in this game and shit like that, that I think there's like actually value for this as a creative tool as well, because it is a well done simulator, which I wasn't expecting to say about the game. In that aspect, how easy is it to export art from the game into like other mediums? Is it like possible to make art in this and then like put it on DeviantArt or something like that? I did not catch any way to, but also I didn't get like, I didn't play around with creative and there might be those tools later on that you can get. Like you eventually unlock a full VR gallery that you can put all your art for display on and like build frames and stuff for them. So like there's this whole other area of managing this gallery too that you get in the game uh, that I almost didn't even mention, which is a fun whole mini game in its own regard. Uh, And so there might be tools that let you export later on or in the creative mode. I don't know for sure. But even it's just like a tool of of simulation, it's great for that of like, you know, what what happens if I splash paint with a spoon on my canvas? Oh, this effect. And it kind of that's how it will probably look in real life if you do that, too. So, like, you get this kind of idea of like the physics behind it in in a sort of unrealistic but realistic way. And And supplies can be fucking expensive, like being able to experiment in a place that is completely free of all financial burden, I feel like is something very powerful. It's very, very powerful. Yeah. I, I think this is a great tool. And like, (laughs) you know i put this like it's a saver for sure it's a delightful game that i'm going to come back to and 
I there's actually a free version of the game too. The Genius Art Simulator is the paid version. The other version is free. I think the free is just like the Creative Studio, which gives you the same thing there. I don't I didn't look too much into it. Um, but I'm pretty sure that's what the difference is. The 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 non-free version comes with like the story mode and everything. Uh, so like play the free version, try it out, see if you like the full version, and then you know play that. But I I don't know how much that stacks up. But there's a lot of fun elements to manage and enjoy about this game that I definitely enjoyed and would recommend. And I especially recommend it if like you like art and just want to fuck around and try to be an artist and feel really validated and make things that you may not otherwise be able to without the access to the real world resources of artists. There's not much that exists that's like this. Not to the extent this is, because it really is. It's an all-around simulator. It's not just a painting game. It is a, a painting simulator, which, like, there's lots of games with painting elements, and there's lots of simulators out there that aren't quite like that, and there's digital art, but none of it is like a painting simulator like this feels like. You know, in that same regard that you taught, you said PC simulator taught you, like, the basics of how to build a build a computer. I feel like this game can teach people the fundamentals of, like, painting on a canvas that's awesome and also there's it seems like there's other ways that you can kind of experiment with art as well with like pottery and sculpture and like that sort of kind of a deal as well i'm not sure exactly how fully featured that aspect of the game is but yeah i don't know either i don't think i got far enough to experiment with that but like you can paint everything you can paint your whole fucking spaceship yeah. if you want you can like roll your roller around the gr ground and like repaint the floors and the walls and shit and it's a lot of fun like there's a lot of elements that you can experiment with the painting in this game you know and they got some fantastic colors like uh like 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 some yellows and some oranges and some greens and some brass Ah, like our next game, Hot Brass. Uh, this game is developed by uh, Walk With Kings. They have made no other games. And it's published by Treasure Hunters Fan Club. They have published no other games. <laughs> so this is kind of going in raw here. Uh, never never done anything before, but hey, we'll see how this is. It's $14.99 with an optional OST. Very positive reviews on Steam, so keep that in mind. <laughs> in the OST is an original soundtrack for those who don't know the acronym. Should I be clear? Should I say that? An okay. I, I, I felt like saying it. Just <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, this game you play as a police officer. You arrive at the scene of uh, various different violent crimes. Your job is to eliminate all of the threats, detain all of the victims, and arresting all of the uh, willing, scared criminals uh, while shooting the rest if they show any signs of fighting back. Uh this is a one to four player online or local co-op game. Uh, surprisingly, I thought that a game called Hot Brass and with like the icon that it has where it's like two handcuffs that look like two balls dangling. I thought that, that <laughs> for sure there was going to be some homoerotic tension here, but there was not. I was very disappointed. It was not goofy or silly or 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 funny at all. It was just completely played straight and uh, it was kind of a little bit boring kind of a little disappointed you uh, you are just a, a boy who must abide by the law while being the sole responder to a bunch of very large and complicated situations could be kidnappings armed robberies break-ins apprehending murder suspects that kind of thing you have to complete all of the different objectives that the level gives you and clear it with no infractions in order to move on to the next level in the game Imagine cops abiding by the law and clearing things with no infractions. I mean... <laughs> this one is not a simulator. No, no. 
<laughs> not really. Uh, there's a lot of things about it that are really just kind of strange. Like, there's a button just for shouting at people. This is just a shout button. You say, get down! Hey, get down! Get down! Hey! Hey! And you just, like, it's an area of effect around you. And, like, the more that you spam it, the more likely somebody is to actually acquiesce to that demand. It, which is not how it works in real life. If you just keep shouting the same command over and over again, it doesn't... Yeah. <laughs> help I, all it is is justification for you to shoot later is what it seems like it's used for <laughs> literally like because if you shoot first without asking questions or figuring out who's violent or not then you do immediately get penalized for it but and like, like you're you're arriving on the scenes where like you don't know exactly who's like a good guy and who's a bad guy and it's also randomized as well like they they're somewhat uh uh, changed up every time that you play so that each time you play you don't can't just like memorize the locations of like the the mm -hmm. innocents and the, the criminals you have to kind of react in the moment to where these people are and they can they wander around too and have like different walk cycles i i should mention that all of the characters in this it's a top-down game and they're all just like circles with like an icon on them it's boring as hell it is <laughs> it is definitely like it feels like placeholder graphics, you know what I mean? And I I don't know, I'm spoiled from games like Hotline Miami that like have very, very well presented top-down mechanics and it's very flashy and fast and like this game is the exact opposite of that where it's not flashy, it's very posing more for realism but not quite to the full level of realism because it can't get to that fidelity. I don't know. Like, like the whole infraction thing, uh, it's just it's just a weird system. It doesn't feel fun. It just doesn't feel fun to have to walk I... around shouting at people. And then, like, it, there's an element where I can see somebody, like, having fun with, like, multiple people, maybe, where it's, like, you know, there's a lot of suspects and different people and kind of role-playing in that aspect of being that, like, SWAT first responder. There's another game that is really, really fantastic, from what I'm told. I haven't played it yet, but I really wanted to play it at some point called SWAT 4. Uh, and that game is very similar where you play as a SWAT agent and it's it's more atmospheric though and it's more like getting you into the uh, the mind of like the the person responding and it's like a first person shooter uh and it I feel like that is just like a much better presentation for this style of game for what they're trying to go for the whole like top down aspect of it kind of removes you from the action mm -hmm. while not really adding anything to it so I have I have a question, and you might be getting to this a little bit later, but sure. like from the from the description of it, it might be a jumping off point to talk about. Is do you feel like this is like cop apologist literature, or is it like trying to bit. make some sort of me? Is that is that kind of the vibe? Yeah, I mean, definitely kind of the vibe that I get. It's like they're trying to to make very very obvious how difficult of a job being SWAT is. And like how how hard it is to tell who's the right person to shoot and who's the wrong person to shoot, but it's just like like to to, to put that into a game and to make it so that you cannot progress until you have successfully perfectly cleared all of these stages, and like I don't know, it's it's just I have a hard time talking about this game because I find nothing about it to be very interesting or fun, but I can tell that there's things other people find to be very interesting and fun about this because it's got it's very positive on Steam. People like this game. I think that there's a lot something of here. Apologists out there. I, I guess so. Or people that have never played Hotline Miami or know what fun games are, 
Because <laughs> it's just not fun to be a police officer, <laughs> at least in this particular instance, the way that they sort of present it. You know, you, you just show up. You are a one-man army if you're playing alone, uh, up to four players if you play with friends. And you just got to go room to room, clearing every single room, bringing order to chaos is one of your objectives, which is like, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, you collect all firearms and evidence and you have to inspect all the rooms and areas. So there was this one mission where like I had inspected every single room, collected every single thing, detained every single guy, but there was a closet that I didn't inspect in the corner of the map. And I had to go check that closet. And then right when I did the, the, the level ended, and it was like, really? You won't let me end the level. Cause there was a single closet. I didn't look inside. Like, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's That's just dumb. it's a bunch of like small little nitpicky things like that that just make me not want to play the game it takes like ages to unlock any new stuff for your character as well because there's this whole like loadout and briefing system but it doesn't matter when you literally don't have any other options to choose for your character because you have to accomplish all of the optional objectives in each individual thing that they give you and you can't move on to the next thing until you've at least cleared the level like without any infractions so i only have like four or five levels unlocked maybe and like three arcade levels uh and all of the options for the arcade levels like all of the fun modifiers that would make the game kind of interesting to be able to add like oh you can do friendly fire or there's no npcs or like whatever like the stuff that you can do to kind of make it that you you know you can customize the gameplay to how you want to play it they don't allow you to do that until you beat a bunch of optional objectives and unlock the ability to use these features. And it's like, stop preventing me from having fun playing your video game. I don't get it. Why are you walking the fun parts of the game away from me before I've completed all of the boring parts? It's like, stop that. Cut, cut it out. I don't like that. It's bad game design for me. Bad pacing. It is. And it's just like a bunch of missions and that you can choose to repeat the missions as often as you want. I'm sure that for somebody, this could be something that they revisit quite a lot because there is something here, you know, like it, it, it's just not my kind of game. It's so slow. It's so it's like methodical, but to the point where it's like any one mistake in a gigantic level will cause you to have to restart the whole thing and lose a bunch of progress. And it's just not fun to me. I just don't find replaying levels like that fun especially yeah. when it like changes every time and like it just is frustrating i don't know i the, i, I kind of goes without saying that this was a labor this is the most negative i've been in about a game for a long time but <laughs> <laughs> i don't know just so much of it is locked away from you and i wish that it would just allow me to have fun and to do things that i want to do it maybe if i was playing with other people maybe it would be better but even then if you play this game with friends, there's so many opportunities to fuck up and fail the level that I wouldn't trust I like other people to play this with them, you know? There's probably other better co-op experiences if you're gonna play a game with a friend. Yeah, this one just seems like I'd get really frustrated and not have much fun. Mm. Uh, so this this is, this is a labor. Uh, it takes itself way too seriously. I don't think I would enjoy it, even if I played it with a friend. It's just, it's not for me. It's It's a slower... Hotline Miami with a referee sitting on your shoulder telling you all the things that you did wrong. And, you know, speaking of labor, our next game is all about labor. Oh, yeah. Is it? Tell me it about is. it. It is. It's Tin Can, the game in which you manage your spaceship from blowing up. 
which is you play the the laborer of a mechanic and and build and repair your ship. Well, you don't really build it. You mostly just repair it and keep it running. It is developed and published by Tin Can Studios, and this is their only game with a price tag of nineteen ninety nine and very positive reviews. Uh, I I listed this as like a puzzle resource management game because that's kind of what it is. It's I think like you know keep talking nobody explodes kind of game where you like have an instruction manual of what to do and your job is to sort of like keep these systems alive as you're floating through space waiting to be uh, you know saved essentially. And in that regard, like it has a lot of depth at first. It's one of those games that you have to sort of discover everything in order to like succeed at it they don't really walk your walk you through or hold your hand through things it's like i have a battery that died and i don't really know how to recharge my battery so i have to find what system i can stick this battery in to get it charging again so the game like you will start out uh, with a bunch of playthroughs that are just like dying because it's like oh this system failed and i didn't know how to adequately repair that or oh this system failed and i didn't realize if i pull that computer off while, out while the computer is still online i will get electrocuted so now i know next time shut the computer off and then pull that out if it fails so there's kind of like that's sort of the main hook of the game is like learning and exploring the mechanics through your different playthroughs so much so that like on the steam page there's a walkthrough that's like hey if you're struggling here's where you can find information but the game is intended for you to discover this stuff on your own and that's kind of the fun of it so we recommend not looking at this but if you do get lost and don't know what you're doing there is a kind of handy-ish walkthrough that explains some of the systems and mechanics uh, on the steam like community page there's a lot it doesn't talk about, but it also talks about the crucial stuff you need to, like, survive. I explored it when I was looking up, like, really specific things that I couldn't figure out, like, how the fuck I clean my goddamn filter, because my filters would get dirty, and I couldn't find anything to put those motherfuckers in to clean them. I still don't know how to clean them, but I got by without it, so it was fine. It's great! There's a, you know, it's, it's... A lot of the joy is in, like, discovering the moments of, like, ah, now next time I can beat this part. Like, next time I can do this right. Because I, I, I learned at the last minute how to fix that issue, but it wasn't quite in time before I ran out of oxygen. Uh, there's not much story to it. Like, your spaceship's broken. Like, the big spaceship you're on blew up, so you had to get in the escape pod and survive until help can come get you kind of thing is, like, the main, like, hook of the story. So that's kind of what you're doing is is surviving in space until your like rescue beacon goes off and there's some really cool like challenges that are like oh this is the one button challenge so everything takes a button to turn on but we only give you one button to turn things on so you have to like pull a button off one system put it on another turn that one on pull it off put it on another turn that one on so you're like juggling this like one component over everything uh and so they have like a bunch of little challenges that are like that that are like how can we present these puzzles in like a more challenging way once which is great once you figure out like the core hook and like how the systems interact it gives you like a fun way of like oh cool now there's a way to make this harder cuz once you know how it works it becomes a lot easier to play the game kind of thing uh and there's some, like, environmental challenges that you face. Like, there will be, like, electromagnetic storms that, like, will take all your systems offline. So you have to sort of, like, oh, shoot, I can turn off all these systems really quick so they won't get fried and then turn them back on after the storm passes. And I have just enough time so I don't run out of oxygen kind of thing. So there's sort of, like, like singularities and, like, weird environmental things that you have to, like, kind of learn and play around, too, which is a lot of fun. 
I I don't have many nitpicks on the game at all. It's like the controls can be a little clunky sometimes, especially once gravity gets shut off and you're kind of like floating around and trying to like hold on to things while you like pick other things up with your free hand. But other than that, like it's a pretty well put together experience that I I definitely savored it. I enjoyed it. It's another one that I wish I could have like streamed or played with a buddy. Uh, <laughs> maybe I'll get Vax in on it someday and we'll play it using like input madness or something because I think that'd be a lot of fun of like making this game a little more artificially challenging. Uh, it could be fun to do it. Like keep talking and nobody explodes kind of thing where like one person plays just by the direction of the other person of like, Oh cool. Now what do I do for this? <laughs> well, that sounds so <laughs> stressful. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. But I think it'd be a blast to sort of like have some more like party elements of how you play this game. I, I think it's a lot of fun and I'll definitely review visit it. And I highly recommend it if you're into those sort of like puzzle games like Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes or those sort of more like system based like logic puzzle games that are like there's a very straightforward mechanical solution to this and you just have to figure it out. And there's like there's a lot of moments too where it's like it'll throw you an error code and there's a little manual you can dig through in the error codes to try to find it and stuff. And it's got a VR experience, which I played around with a little bit when it was kind of fun. Um I didn't have enough real, real space to really get into it because it's one of those games that you need a lot of like space for. Uh, but it was a good experience all around. I, I enjoyed it. And, you know, I I died a lot. Like there was a lot of death in this game over and over again, uh, trying to figure it out. But yeah, it's sort of like death was kind of a central thing I kept revisiting. Ah, much like in our next game, Trek to Yomi, a game all about death and returning from it. Uh, it is developed by uh, a guy by the name of Leonard Menciari, uh, who is known for games such as Riot, Civil Unrest, and The Eternal Castle, as well as Flying Hog Studios, uh, who are known for Evil West, Shadow Warrior, Hard Reset, uh, even like the Devolverland Expo that happened recently. They were the one who's, who developed it. And speaking of which, Devolver Digital is the publisher. They're the publishers of hit games such as Fall Guys, The Messenger, Cult of the Lamb, Inscription, Loop Hero, Serious Sam, and so many more. Probably at least one of your favorites. Uh, it's a 1999 game with an optional soundtrack, and it is mostly positive reviews on Steam. Uh, the gameplay involves uh, basically like a 2D action-style adventure game, very much in the vein and influence of old Japanese samurai films, particularly uh, Akira Kurosawa's films. The entire thing is black and white, and it's in this filmatic widescreen aspect ratio that gives it a very cinematic effect from start to finish. And something that I feel is worth mentioning is that there is actually an optional English dub of all of the characters. Uh, the dub is pretty good, uh, for the most part, and makes the second playthrough very enjoyable, though I will mention it does have the same sort of thing that early Kurosawa films had when dubbed into English, where the lip sync doesn't match the, the 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 face flaps that they have going on, and the characters often end up speaking in like British or like weird off kilter accents. It's fun. I really enjoyed it. It felt very um, <laughs> it felt very much in the spirit of those original dubbed films, as you would have experienced it. But it felt a little more goofy, I'd say, in comparison to the original run when I played it in the original Japanese. The gameplay is split between a bunch of combat sections, some very simple puzzles, and cutscenes. Uh, it's all, for the most part, plays out on like a 2D plane, though there are some segments where you get to walk around in more of a 3D space. Uh, it feels like playing through like you know just like an epic 
samurai film set in the Edo period of feudal Japan. Uh, the swordplay is really fast and simple, rewards really quick counterattacks and parries, uh, as well as a focus of mainly uh, group combat, though there are some pretty big one-on-one uh, -on -one fights that happen as well. Very often, though, it'll be like you versus six or seven other dudes that kind of take turns coming at you. There are some unlockable moves that you get later that allow you extra options in combat, like the ability to stun characters and then do a uh, optional like execution finisher. I ended up not doing that too much just because it was hard to do the input, and you don't really need it when you're on normal. I feel like it's basically a necessity on hard, though, because every enemy takes at least eight strikes to take down <laughs> on hard, whereas they only take four strikes on normal. It is like ridiculous how much harder hard is and I'll, I'll get into that yeah enemies are always either in front of you or behind you because it's on that 2d field people will always either show up like behind you or in front of you uh, so you only ever have to worry about like two guys essentially even if there's a whole group of people coming at you uh, it's similar somewhat to like a souls or a sekiro type of game i would say uh just like similar levels of timing but simpler inputs it is a six chapter story it takes around uh five or eight hours to get all the way through sometimes a little bit longer maybe if you're having a harder time with some of the fights chapter one is like a prologue where you play as the young swordsman learning about his childhood growing up with his master uh where and like in, in that whole prologue segment your master is is killed it says this in the steam landing page <laughs> and uh because of this you are now the only swordsmen left to protect your town. So there's like a time skip uh, and you go see yourself kind of grow up to become this samurai who's trying to protect the town. They leave the town to go off on an adventure to go and save somebody, but it turns out to just be a distraction. Uh, and when they return home, the entire village has been like torched and raised by uh, the same people that killed your master like all those years ago. The same guy because he's got his nose cut off. You cut off his nose when you were a kid. And so it's all about trying to step up to this threat that's coming and to try to be the samurai that is needed in this moment to to stop the, the people who are invading the village, though most people are already dead. There, there's, there's a lot of discussion about like war and conflict and death. It's kind of hard to talk about this game without going into spoilers a little bit, so I'll just go a little bit more about the general gameplay here before I go deep into the spoilers. Uh, there are three different main difficulty modes, Kabuki, Bushido, and Ronin. I tried Ronin at first, and like I said, that was way too difficult. I feel like the Bushido or Kabuki, like the story mode or like the, the normal mode or like the ways to go about this game, uh, or the Kensei mode that you unlock after you beat the game once, which rules it's basically like <laughs> everyone is a single hit away from death with the exception of some bosses so every fight is like this really fast intense flurry of uh, motion and then it's just suddenly over which is how i feel like hira kurosawa films usually are with violence it's usually like a very quick moment of violence before it's over but then also the boss fights have so much tension at that point too yeah some that's true some of the boss fights then because i mean the boss fights take more strikes anyway but you still go down in single strike so there's a lot more tension on that extra playthrough it's like almost more relaxing until you get to those boss fights so it's a bit of a weird dichotomy but it's a it's a fun for a second playthrough uh you get three different projectile weapons throughout the game 
You start out getting a little kunai that does like a little bit of extra damage. Then you get a bow that does a pretty significant amount of damage, can like take out dudes with a single headshot. Uh, and then later you get the ozutsu, which is a based on like a real Japanese hand cannon. And this thing is so powerful, you can take down three dudes in a single shot. It is baller as hell and super, super powerful and a very, very fun to use. There are four different endings that I guess I'll go ahead and get into now. Uh, gonna jump into the spoilers a little bit. Halfway through the game, your character dies. And, whoa, I know, right? There's this big fight with the guy who killed your master in the middle of the third chapter. And if you beat him, you actually do unlock a secret ending where you have beaten the final boss of the game in the middle of the game. And because you haven't gone through the second half of your hero's journey yet, you get a bad ending. <laughs> uh, <laughs> basically, you, you unlock this ending where you never get sent to the afterlife. And so you never have this final arc of returning from the afterlife with everything that you've learned there. Uh, and like your your sister, or, or not your sister, your lover uh, is, is dead and you don't have any way to get her back. But if you go with one of these other options, then uh, you get a different ending and you actually spend the last three chapters of the game in Yomi trying to work your way back after just having been killed to come back and face the man who killed you again, who presumably he crawled out of Yomi himself in order to be there again because he had already died in the prologue. He, he, you, you would essentially taken him out, knocked his nose off, but he came back anyway. It's like, you're supposed to be dead. He, he says like, yeah, I did die essentially. I came back. And then you do what he did in order to fight him again. And that's like <laughs> the climactic moment of these two people that have defied death going off against Stuck each other. Stuck in a other. cycle of revenge, basically. Exactly like that, yeah. Uh, and so you get four different, or sorry, three different paths that you can choose at the very end based on your primary motivation that you want your character to have going into that final fight. The first is the path of love. Uh, I, this is a path that I did not take, but presumably it would be trying to uh, take you know your your lover back from the afterlife and actually resurrecting them. Hopefully, like fulfilling that aspect of of your journey. The path of honor uh, focuses more so on protecting the people of the town and trying to keep everybody safe and like that aspect of of the samurai journey. And then the last one is the path of revenge. And since I was streaming this, this is the one everybody chose. Or I guess not everybody, everybody but... Everybody's so graciously there. <laughs> it's a little gracious. You did kind of force it. <laughs> I definitely railroaded this ending against everyone else's wishes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, what happened was I came back from the dead and I didn't give a single shit about family or honor. I just wanted this motherfucker dead. And so the moment that I, I slain him, I, I took his head off, uh, I get an extra little ending cutscene where my character essentially becomes this guy. He essentially becomes the next warlord, going from town to town, raising villages. My might is right, like the that exact sort of character. You become him after killing him. Uh, which that is like a lovely, almost like Shakespearean level tragedy. I kind of loved that ending just for that aspect alone. Even if it wasn't like a happy ending, it was a very interesting one thematically. There's just a lot of interesting themes in this game. There's like a theme of balance and your wants and your desires. You want to have all of these different things, but you can't really achieve all of them. You can't have 
love and honor and revenge. You can only really choose one. Though you are given three different options throughout the game to choose, like, which one you want. And you could choose a different one each time, which in theory would be, like, the ultimate balanced playthrough, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Where you're kind of slowly going from each thing until you settle on the thing that you really love and want. Ultimately, the ending, though, is based on that last decision you make. Ultimately, it's based on the last decision. From what I can tell, at the very least, uh, it seems like only really the last decision matters, which is uh, whether or not you rescue somebody, you r help other people, or you do everything for the sake of revenge. And in that sense, uh, I feel like there's themes of like the will to defy death and how the motivation to defy death sort of drives the outcome because like it's it's the same act right it's the same act of killing somebody but it's for different reasons you know it could be uh revenge leads to more death and begets more war whereas perhaps if i had chosen love i could have broken the cycle or i could have uh you know stopped that that violence from recurring over and over again and created a different world for myself so it, it, asking yourself, like, what is it that you fight for? What do you want to bring back into the world after taking this journey, going all the way from the land of the dead and back? Like, what is it that you actually care about and finding that? Uh, as well as, like, the idea that every death is a weight on your own soul. Because uh, each one of the men that you kill in the first act of the game comes back in the second half. Uh, it's like every one of the men that you killed is there trying to stop you from leaving, you know? <laughs> and you have to go through each and every one again just so you can prove to yourself that you can escape uh and that you're you're stronger than all of these people uh but at that same moment it's it's kind of recognizing like some of these people your character doesn't even recognize but they recognize you it's like you ruined their life and they want to end you but you don't even know who they are mm-hmm uh, and in that sense, weapons, they shouldn't be taken lightly. You know, the sword, while useful to defend against threats and needed in this time period, was also the same tool used to take all of those lives away. And that even the destruction of protection creates a sort of wake of death and destruction that is all-encompassing. Uh, killing is killing, even if you're killing someone who is hurting you. <laughs> Yeah, and it's not to say that like that's a bad thing, but that there's a weight to it, you know. Yeah, like that you 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 carry that with you. Uh, and, in in that sense that like yeah. all life has value, even yeah. if that life is is posing some sort of threat or harm to you. Yeah, and to sort of cast that away in the sake of revenge, you just sort of repeat the cycle. It, it ties into the themes very well. Mm -hmm. I did have some nitpicks with this game, though. <laughs> i had a couple uh this game like i won't know where to go sometimes you know you'd think that with only 2d for the most part you would only have to worry about left or right but there are so many times when i'll just get dropped into an environment and not know which way left or right or like up or down and where to go in order to get the extra items and then progress as well it's really difficult to know like what's forward and what's backward the camera work mm -hmm. is pretty cool but also sometimes i feel like far too zoomed out for my liking i feel like i'm almost distanced from the characters and their emotions because of how far away i am zoomed out from the characters at times although that could also serve an artistic purpose arguably 
I just feel like it's hard to even play the game at a certain point when it's so zoomed out that I can barely even see the character and what's going on. <laughs> uh, perhaps it's also like a limit of the, the character animation as well. I feel like it would be hard to convey the same level of character, like from an Akira Kurosawa film that like, you know, those same close-ups and those same emotions and those long shots that you could get. Oh, that's another thing is I feel like there were just too many cuts. They were like Akira Kurosawa is really famous for his long cuts where he would do very, very long shots and that would track a character over a long period of time. And I feel like there were so mm -hmm. many op opportunities for that to happen where it didn't happen and there were cuts instead. And it was like Ooh. I felt like it was weak. It just it hit weak. I felt like the, the, the camera work could have been a lot better. Like, if you're going to go for a cinematic presentation, really lean into that. Yeah, like, lean into that. You have to use all of the same techniques as film, you know? And you have to, to, to try to bring it and elevate it to that same status if you're going to compare yourself to that so clearly with the visual design. And in that sense, also, the UI was, like, a constant struggle to fight against because everything is black and white, including the AI or the UI. So the user interface here, like the health and stamina is off to like the far bottom left of the side of the screen. And because it's black and white, it blends in with the background and it's really hard to tell what stamina you're at in the middle of combat. And I just wish that it was like right next to my character or, or something more accessible because there are just so many times where I died because I ran out of stamina or health and I just didn't realize that I was about to run out. It's mm -hmm. just th these important pieces of information that the player needs to feel like they're the cool samurai when you hide it for the sake of uh, aesthetics it can cloud the actual gameplay and make the experience worse uh so i feel like that kind of really sucked it like glimmers on the screen as another example would be like for specific items or pickups that you, you can get but also there's like film grain always on the screen and sometimes the film grain and the glimmers look the same so you can't tell whether something is an item that you're supposed to be able to pick up or just like a random piece of film grain on the screen where just so many aspects of the aesthetics of this, while they look beautiful, actively hinder the gameplay and make it harder for me to enjoy the game. And like I mentioned earlier, hard is just way too frickin' hard. It is you, you, like eight strikes for a single dude and then you're going up against like eight dudes is ridiculous. That is 80 times I have to hit these guys before I get to save? Fuck off! That's, that's, and then I play it on easy, and then it's like, eight strikes. And then they're all dead. Fuck off. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just, the, the combat isn't engaging enough for me to have as much fun on hard as I, what I was hoping. And hard ended up just being a way, like, it just got in the way of me enjoying the game and the aesthetics and the visuals of it. So if you're going to go into this game, if you're going to try it, if you're going to play it, don't, you're, you're not hard. You're, you're not, you're not cool. <laughs> you don't have to, you, you don't, don't have, have to prove to, anything to anyone. You don't have to prove anything. You can play on easy and you'll still have a good time. And you, then you'll unlock the fun uh, extra difficulty mode at the end anyway, where you can take everybody out in a single hit and have a good time. Which is what we all want. So just, just play it the way that you enjoy. And just have fun. This is this was a labor at first until I started changing the difficulty. I switched things around. So I started having way more fun on the lower difficulties. Uh, yeah. Just enjoy the beautiful aesthetics. Get washed away in the story and the the cinematic storytelling. Don't spend as much time as I did retrying fights over and over again. That's not fun. 
and <laughs> I don't think it will be. It completely ruins the pacing of the movie if this was considered to be a movie-like experience. Movies don't <laughs> typically have an hour and a half long segment of the main character struggling to get past six dudes. Like, <laughs> sounds like you just needed to try getting good. I guess I did just have to, just have to get good there, huh? Mm-hmm. Had to. Get... <laughs> trying to figure out if i can turn that into a fucking segue for our next thing but i can't think of anything you know what else is good 69 69 (laughs) yeah fuck it's 96 damn it fuck shit our next game is road 96 okay this is a game developed and published (laughs) by digix art uh arcs also did 11-11 memories retold uh which is I never heard of this game before, but it looks charming. It's like it's got fucking who? Who did I say that name was? A big name. Yeah, it was Elijah Wood, who's a voice actor for one of the main characters in the game. So, looks decent. That's dope. This is a game that'll cost you nineteen ninety six outside the bundle, uh, with very positive reviews. And it's a, I describe this as like a charming walking simulator with some like really light puzzles and like choices matter narrative gameplay. Because the vast majority of this game is, like, answering dialogue prompts and walking around interacting with the environment. There's not a lot of, like, action or, or you know, any of those sort of, like, gameplay elements. It's, it's, it's somewhere between, like, Firewatch and Detroit you Become Human, where it's, like, you are doing the sort of Choices Matter gameplay, but it's very, very lightly spursed between moments of just kind of walking and doing the sort of hitchhiker, you know, living the life of a of a vagabond trying to cross the border kind of gameplay, because that's what this game ultimately is. It's a narrative experiment, ex- not experiment, experience, where you're just kind of, like, taking in this world and trying to get out of it. Uh, I The game doesn't have a lot of depth or complexity, but the presentation of the narrative is done phenomenally in this game, because, like, Everything in this game feels natural from like the characters interactions to like how you're kind of navigating this environment because ultimately the the sort of overarching story is you are playing a troubled youth so to speak trying to escape from your fascist government by crossing the border into a a uh, healthy state. <laughs> huh, I actually didn't know that was the plot. Yeah, that's that's the arching plot of this game, which is buck wild. You live in this like totalitarian fucking world where the youths have no rights whatsoever, and so like all the kids are trying to escape by crossing the border to a free state, and the ones that get caught get sent to a forced labor camp. So it's like it's pretty heavy, uh, and it's really good because like. It feels like a great sort of introduction to modern politics that really focuses on tackling real world issues while building a compelling world and story that's like a a, a far enough disconnect that you don't get bogged down and like, oh, fuck, this is like this is the shit I'm dealing with in daily life. But it, it's far enough distant that it's like, oh, that character is clearly Trumpian in reference, but it's not directly saying Trump. So it feels like far enough removed that I can draw the parallels of the metaphor myself, which also feels really good as a player to be like, ah, I see what you're doing. I see what game you're playing. It does a really great job making you see a bunch of different points of view and how, like, 
these sort of global and national politics are affecting everyone and that that you don't really get in any other sort of medium that you would in a video game because the way this plays out is as you're going through the story you you're either like hitchhiking or wandering on the road to get ultimately to get to road 96 to get out uh but each each little point on the way you interact with some characters and there's uh six major characters sonia which is your sort of like fox news reporter contributing to the right-wing discourse but benefiting from it so like happy to go along with it because she's getting her bag by being a scumbag basically you have john who is like your sort of blue collar truck driver who is also like one of the major players in the resistance against the fascist government uh because they're sort of like that whole uh, you know the anarchists trying to break free from the rule of it try like literally plotted an assassination against the tyrant that runs the country uh, at the last election there's zoe who is another troubled teen hitchhiker trying to get across the border who also happens to be a member of the resistance uh, and then there's Alex, who is like a tech wizard genius kid who's sort of like doing his own thing and finding his own way uh, in the world and like looking for his parents. Who uh, <laughs> You have Alex, who's like the genius kid who's like looking for his dead parents who died at the last assassination attempt on the president uh, and just like wants to find out more about his life and everything, but kind of gets sucked into being a pawn of the resistance. Then you have Fanny, who's the, like, I'm the good cop cop, but still plays by the cop's rules, so you're not really a good cop, you're still a cop, uh, because, like, your job ultimately is to uphold the rule of a fascist government, so you can't be a good person by participating in that, uh, <laughs> who's also the mother of Alex. And then you got Stan and Mitch! Uh, <laughs> and Stan and Mitch are the kooky, like, we're the we're the criminals, but, like, we're clearly bad Got like... The, like, leaning into, like, we wear the BDSM bad guy outfits because we're criminals kind of thing. It, they, they literally repeatedly refer to them as BDSM players, like, people. Like, it's very, very tongue-in-cheek <laughs> funny. And it's great. Like, like they're, they're, they're fun little characters that constantly rope your guys into, like, hey, let's rob this taxi car like, business. And then there's Jordan, who is, like, the, the he wants to assassinate uh, someone for their actions. I'm keeping that vague because, spoilers, I don't want to have to mark this section as that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so he's like the sort of mysterious, edgy dude that you bump into a bunch of times. So that's kind of like the main characters that you go through. And like throughout the game, it's it's you go like you hit a check mark and you get an interaction with one of these characters. And then you have some dialogue choices to make. And most of the dialogue choices consist of something that's either pro-government, anti-government, or just sort of like vagabond. I'm looking out for myself. Like I, I don't really care about the political climate. I just want to escape. Uh, and the game plays out in like you make these decisions, you get a character to the border, you either cross the border or don't, and then you play another loop as another character. And the game consists of like five or six loops as playing as different teens trying to escape, having these interactions with these people. So like you see their storylines unfold and you see the sort of actions of this like world and political climate as they're affecting all these individual characters as you go. It's a really good presentation of it and it really makes you like, oh, like, these are the characters that, like, as things are escalating, it's affecting certain characters more and certain ones less, and other ones, like, don't care, and some people do care. And you get to see, like, the interactions of characters that are, like, I'm very invested in the politics of this climate, or, like, I'm not invested. And, like, y you get to see that, that the sort of, like, 
the way that like centrism and indecision impacts politics to like a degree even if you're not making active decisions the choice of of doing nothing is a choice of supporting the system that's in place and so like you get to see all these sort of like highbrow political ideas play out in just like very basic interactions with these characters throughout which is fantastic i i want to mention this because like it gives you an idea of the sort of like the the idea of the political nature of this game one of the first characters you meet zoe on your first playthrough is literally humming bella ciao which if you don't know is an italian fascist resistance song that they used to sing in the streets while fighting like gutting down fascists and dying like so bella ciao is like the first song that is played in this game about like that has a central focus on music and a very banger soundtrack as well that like it's it's very clear that the developers were conscious of politics and and the game has a political um i don't want to say a political agenda but a political presentation that it's it wants the player to think about and give you some agency in thinking about your decisions as a participant in politics and your as a participant in in or is even just a a a, a person being impacted by politics even if you can't actively participate because that's one of the big things is that like the game makes this central focus about like taking away the rights of the youth so they can't be involved in the political nature of this country mm. which is a very big topic about things that are happening in the real world that people don't talk about enough and I think this game is very ahead of the curve in that discussion of political issues impacting youths and the blatant ageism that is displayed against the youths in a lot of countries one of the things that was really big about this game that I'm kind of curious about if this ties into those themes is the element of randomization that comes with each playthrough. Do you think that that ties into this sort of theme of making you feel like you're having your own unique experience in this world and maybe tying you into those themes and ideas more intimately than it would if it was a more directed experience? Absolutely. And I think that is like to some regard because the way the game is presented with this randomization, there are some of these storylines you won't see completed to the end in your first playthrough. And they have a new game plus that lets you like track your progress because on the loading screen, it shows you your progress through each of the stories with the characters. So it's like you're 70% through Gerard's storyline or you're, you know, 60% through Sonya's storyline. So you can like see your progress through each character's storyline. And so you won't get through seeing everyone's arches through the first story. Um, and I think in that regard, it does, it plays a lot of like, uh, like, like there are things that you like, wow, this character is just a fucking dick. Every time I interact with them, they're an asshole. And they're like against everything that I stand for. And they're a really shitty person. And then on your next playthrough, you find out like, oh, fuck, something really big happened to this character. And that's why they're behaving like this and acting like this. And I'm just sitting here judging this dude for being an asshole. But really these other people that I thought were good people were assholes the whole time. Oh, um, interesting. So yeah, there is a lot of that like regard of like the, the sort of random nature of it really does play a role in like only letting you experience some parts of the world and some storylines and some interactions at certain times and in certain ways that really kind of help shape that political landscape in the world going on around you. It's, it's really great in that, that, that sense. Politics is all about perspective, I feel like. And the perspective as that shifts would completely change the narrative of, of the game, you know? And it does a good job of that, too, of, like, the actions, like, the choices that you make. I, there's three different endings to the game where there is, like, there's the, the, the good ending of, like, we squashed the fascists and no one got hurt, everyone lived happily ever after kind of thing. There's the sort of medium ending where it's, like, 
well, we we made enough of a political statement that the landscape has changed. We voted out the fascist. The like we're still under the rule of this like shitty system that's in place, but it's getting a little bit better because a better leader is in place. And then there's the bad ending of like the fascist won the election. Like oh shit, everything's still like the status quo. Nothing has changed whatsoever. Everyone is dead. Um, so like it it also does a really good jo- job in that regard of like presenting the like the differences because ultimately the game takes place over the time of trying to get to the election um so like you have like it's a week within the time of the election or whatever and the ending of the game is on election day and that sort of dictates the ultimate ending of the game is who gets elected in the end um and then like Mm. the the general discourse of the public based on the response to that election and so like that that is like the good ending is the public is completely on your side and things are going to change radically very quickly. The, the medium ground is it's, you know, most people kind of like see your cause and your reasoning behind it now, but democracy is slow and it's going to be slow for things to change. And then the bad ending is like, everyone is like, we like the fascist and fuck the youths. (laughs) That's a dark ending. It's very dark. It's it's very, very dark. And a lot of the main characters die as a result <laughs> because, like, there is a big protest and a, like, attempt to assassinate the, the fascist and everything. And <laughs> that's wild. This part is probably spoilers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a really great game that talks about a lot of, like, there's, ta- you know, obviously there are conversations about, like, immigration and marginalized individuals trying to, like, find a better home where they are not persecuted and stuff like that. There is like, it, it talks about the importance of dialogue and the impact that our words have, because as you were like talking about earlier, that like exposure is the biggest direction to change and just having conversations and exposing to people is some of the biggest political activism you can do, regardless of what people say, like mm. literally having conversations and educating people is one of the biggest things you can do in politics to like change the beliefs of people around you. And this game does a good job showing that of like, Oh, this one off throwaway that I said to this dude in a car came back later when that dude was like, Oh, Oh, yeah, fuck the fascists. You were right earlier. I didn't realize it, but they're dicks. Just exposing people to the idea is important. Exactly, of, like, showing them that, like, look, I'm being impacted by this. I have to flee the country because of these decisions. And it's like, oh, you're right. Maybe I will vote for the better person next time. So, like, it does a really good job showing that just, like, conversation is an important political activists tool and that not everything needs to be like you know get to the streets and protest and blow up buildings and like you know just talking to people is doing as much protest and like as much push for change as as any sort of political activism that's dope i love that i feel like talking like just the act of speaking words can sometimes be understated as a means of political action but it is oftentimes one of the most effective which is why the internet is the greatest political tool that's been created ever and is widely under talked about and dismissed as like such a great tool of political activism that everyone's just, oh all you're doing is talking about it on the internet no motherfucker i'm changing people's minds like yeah i am a talking tool with for political activism with it, real people like, changed the world exactly yeah. it's changed the world and and people just like dismiss it as like fucking the world has never been closer together and we have never been able to li- peak so easily into the lives of people on the other side of the planet than we can today 100 percent. yeah yeah this game is it's phenomenal i really 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 love 
the discussion that this game does about like youths and politics and like the political impact that politics have on the younger generation and the deliberate and blatant attempt by fascist governments to to degrade and strip away the rights of youths that like it's so pertinent it's not being talked about at all in like any other media and this is the first piece of media that I've ever seen that like actually really addresses that issue which I love for that in its own regard yeah and it's not just like a red versus blue issue huh no, it's not. <laughs> it's it's so good. I I love it so much. I was going to say the people in this next game definitely only care about things in a red and blue light. I'm pretty sure that there is no political uh in-betweenism for this particular game. Chivalry 2 is our next one on the docket. Uh and this one is developed by Torn Banner Studios. Uh, they have developed pre the older Chivalry game, also Chivalry Deadliest Warrior, which was like a combination thing with like the Deadliest Warrior TV show, where it was like a samurais and knights and people fighting against each other. It wasn't very good, and I don't think it's very active anymore. Uh, the only other game that I found from them is this game that they made in six days called Nevermind. It has like six reviews on Steam. Go look it up if you're curious. Uh, the publisher here is Tripwire Interactive. You probably know them from games like Killing Floor, Maneater, Rising Storm, Red Orchestra, among others. Uh, this game is one of the bigger ticket items on the game's uh, subscription this week. It is $39.99 on its own, though it is actually $19.99 until uh, September 8th, 2023, uh, right now. And there are other special options available, but I don't know. They aren't that special to me <laughs> it's just like extra <laughs> costumes and not nothing too crazy uh this game is reviewed very positively on steam and it is actually also available on psn plus and xbox game pass just wanted to give that a quick shout out uh this is a game where you play as a sweaty man or woman in the middle ages and your job is to scream loudly and swing your sword at people okay that's that's the game it's <laughs> There is a dedicated screaming button. To give you an idea of what kind of game this is, you can press a button to scream at any point. I, I, I have a very pertinent question to ask you about this game, really quick. Yes. Um, because because you you you, uh, this is this is a conversation Vax and I had a while back that that I made a comment and, and he, he he called me insane for it. Um, but. I said chivalry always gives me bully vibes. I don't... Were, were the vibes there of bully? What do you mean? Like, like the, 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 the rock star video like, game the bully? The rock star video game bully. I mean, if the bully was one of 64 players in a massive online multiplayer sort of <laughs> arena fighting game... <laughs> then maybe then and, and if it was also in the middle ages and not in like you know whatever I, london or whatever it was like i see it's it's something about the way the game feels while playing it that just feels like bully i, I to be honest i have not played bully i cannot give you that comparison but i just oh, find that <laughs> i find that to be wild if other people can comment on that and give us some confirmation on on chivalry 2 and whether or not it is like bully then please let us know but hey <laughs> folks this is a game with uh up to 64 players uh, it's a game for turning off your brain and letting the carnage flow it's a gigantic 
big player battles that stretch across multiple moving objectives. Uh, there are a couple different modes. Right now there's even like a limited time mode where it's a brawl. Uh, fist fights only. <laughs> no rules. Have fun. I love uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> they also have a mounted warfare thing that's new to this game. Uh, horses add this extra layer to combat that's basically just pretty simple. They're an extra threatening and highly mobile enemy that you can occasionally get slotted into, sort of like a, a Star Wars Battlefront, how you get slotted into being like a Jedi or something at a certain point during the match, you get like an, asked if you wanted to join the cavalry, uh, then you can do that. Uh, and it's not super often, but every so often you'll get that chance whenever you're playing a mounted uh, warfare lobby. And it is fun, but it is also kind of old sometimes, getting one shot by people on horses running really quickly <laughs> right by you. So it's nice to have the option to go without it. Uh, otherwise, there's the regular 64-player mixed modes, uh, which is where you're going to be spending a lot of your time. Uh, the training grounds, if you wanted to get a little bit of practice in. Uh, or standalone servers, if you wanted to select a specific uh, game type or server map or something like that. Uh, there are four main classes for you to choose from, uh, with three subclasses each. Uh, there's the archer, the vanguard, the footman, and the knight. The archer is your typical range class. They come with the longbowman by default, and they get the special ability Brazier, which allows you to like light your arrows on fire. Uh, later on, you get the ability to also unlock the crossbowman, uh, who is sort of like the longbowman, but with stronger uh, bullets that you can kind of prep in advance. Uh, and you also get like an extra little shield that you can deploy, and a banner that you can place down to make people do extra damage. And I think, I, I don't know if it does extra damage, but you can heal people if they get near the banner. And then the final archer class is the skirmisher. They're all about thrown weapons, javelins, uh, spears, whatever you can think of. And their special ability is quiver, so they can get additional ammo just from using their ability. Uh, the next class is the vanguard. They have the main one that you start out with, which is the devastator. They start out with a giant fuck-all battle axe. And they're one of my favorite classes, just running around bashing people with gigantic weapons and then throwing an oil pot on them as their special ability, making them burn alive. It's, it's, it's fun. Uh, the Raider is also maybe my second favorite. Uh, they're also a vanguard. Uh, they have the special ability Trumpet, which just lets you play a little trumpet and heal people around you. Uh, and they start out with two Danish axes, which is super fun because you can throw any weapon that you get in this game and having two gigantic Danish axes and extra throwing axe means you got three <laughs> things for throwing. And if you keep picking it up and throwing in more, you can keep picking up and throwing all day long. Uh, it is super, super fun to just go wild and get some crazy combos as the, the raider, like, slashing people. The, the, the melee combat, I should mention, is fairly simple. Uh, I'll, I'll explain it in a moment after I'm done going over the classes, I suppose. Uh the footman is uh, sort of like your basic uh, at-arms kind of like... Pull the pullman is the one you start out with. They have like all the long-range like halberds and spears and stuff like that. Uh, the footmen also get... All of them get bandage kits. Uh, the man-at-arms is like a simple like sword and shield guy. Uh, the field engineer, uh, who's also a footman, is like the only one able to provide like structures that they can place on the ground that can really help on certain objective types where you have to kind of funnel people into smaller areas or try to prevent them from gaining access to a certain area. Uh, and then finally, the knight is the last class. Uh, the one that you start out with there is officer. Uh, they are just like your kind of typical strong knight with big sword. 
Uh, they get their trumpet too, so they can play that and then have people healed nearby. Uh, there's the guardian, which is sort of like your very heavily armored uh, sword and shield class. Uh, they get the banner as well. And the final one is the crusader, who is sort of similar to the officer, but they get an oil pot as their special ability. And they start out with a, a giant... I forget what it's called. It's not a scimitar, but they get a giant, giant sword that they use to attack people with. Uh, and they get, of course, each class gets more weapons and upgrades as, as you kind of go along. It's mostly side grades. Like, you can do just fine as any one of the base, you know, officer, Pullman, devastator, longbowman, as you get right when you start out. And you unlock the rest as you level up by playing each class. Uh, there's some, like, mm -hmm. weapons that I really want late game that I've been kind of saving up for, like, the the vanguard the devastator they get this gigantic uh, highlander sword it's like this berserk or like final fantasy esque like gigantic monster weapon it just looks like so much fun to wield and each class is also customizable for each of the three distinct teams that you get so there's like the agathians which are the blue team the order which is the red team and the tenosians which are the yellow team and also there's like this extra kind of in between team that's like if you're loading into lobbies and you can customize each one of those classes. Uh, you can't customize them based on the subclass. It's just based on the class. So all of your archers, all of your vanguards, all of your footmen will always look the same for this specific class. But you can customize each side. So I spent a while just making each character look really cool and unique and kind of making them uh, bring in some of the characteristics of their uh, home sort of team, I guess. Or the Agathians are like these very religious kind of like birthright you know like we are the the righteous holy people and we deserve to own this land whereas the order is sort of like going against that and they're sort of taking land from people and sort of establishing their own kind of like autocratic republic rule uh and then there's also the tenosians who are introduced in this game uh that you don't get to play with as often but they're a nice like change of pace they're sort of more of like an ottoman empire inspired kind of like middle eastern sort of a, a vibe but at the end of the day it's literally just like red team blue team yellow team that's all you gotta know and and the sword play is really simple uh, but very very fun it's easy to get into uh, there's a button for blocking and if you block too many attacks you get tired and you can have attacks hit you attacks can also hit you if they hit your back or go uh, around your block like if somebody stabs you under on your legs like under where you're blocking uh and generally, like, you have, you have three different strikes that you can do. A main horizontal strike, a sort of vertical up and down strike, and then a stab. Uh, and it's very simple. It's your classic rock, paper, yeah. scissors sword play. I mean, kind of. Like, as long as you're blocking and you have stamina, you're kind of fine no matter what the strike is coming at you. But the variety in, like, how you have to time each strike is has a surprising amount of depth to it like if you start a strike earlier like a horizontal strike and then you lean the camera from left to right you'll catch them with the animation earlier than if like the you had just pressed the button and done the attack because like the, it actually like carries around you in like an arc like a hitbox so if you can hit people with that hitbox earlier then you can get them down earlier huh. i don't know it, it's an interesting system and it's very simple but it's very easy to just get into and start having fun while also having like a fairly high level of skill and you, you don't really have to worry about dying because you respawn within seconds in this game and you're just back into the action kind of no problem at all so death is super cheap in this 
And in that sense, I feel like that kind of leads to the themes of the game where like <laughs> the futility of this never ending combat where these teams are constantly fighting for honor, ha, for Agatha, for the order, for Tanusia, whatever. You know, they're, you're always fighting for some righteous cause and it doesn't matter because you always end up dead in the dirt anyway. Or like, you know, if you win, then maybe you delay the next invasion or whatever. Like th there's no like, there's, there's, I guess, like kind of a, a continuity between levels where Sometimes if like you lose, then you'll go to like another level that's like them on the defending side. So like the the order, if like they're the attacking team on one mission and they they uh, succeed, then maybe the next one will be like them being attacked by the uh, opposite order. But it, I don't know. It, a lot of it is just kind of round based and it's just kind of fun. You know, you're just, mm -hmm. just kind of going at each other. <laughs> Uh, the the cheapness of death in this game is something that, that comes up a lot, and I feel like adds a lot to the comedy of this game. This game is really funny. I've laughed more playing this game than I have playing a lot of other games, where it's like this Monty Python esque voice lines that come out every so often. If you can find comedy in a man losing both of his arms and then still trying to kill people by bashing him around with his head, you'll probably <laughs> enjoy this game. Uh, and in that like red versus blue aspect, I found it kind of funny that some people were like kind of almost taking it like outside of the game in like a political aspect as well. People were like just like ranting about like politics on the chat, <laughs> which is something that I was not, I, I played this originally on Xbox and nobody mm -hmm. talks at all on Xbox. Uh, it's a very chill atmosphere, but then you go and play this on PC and it's like, I, I really enjoy it because people are very chatty, but also people are very chatty. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that means people were like there's this one guy that was just spamming maga 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 in the chat and like i remember i like said something back to him like trump is gonna get us really how is he gonna pay for that is i think what i said and like that guy like found me and then killed me and then like <laughs> fucking like squatted on Mog top it over of your me. Body. Yeah, mogged all over me. <laughs> and like take I feel like it's almost kind of nice just to be able to take out that anger and that frustration in like a nice, pleasant little area. And just in getting to enjoy the carnage and the destruction and the chaos and <laughs> the random people ranting about Mog in the chat. It's, I guess, what you would expect from any multiplayer game, you know? Nitpicks, if I had to give any. Uh, well, this game does have cross-play. It doesn't have cross-progression. So all that time that I spent playing the Xbox version of the game did not progress my character on Steam, and I had to re-earn all of the different, like, classes and stuff on Steam, which didn't take too long. It was only, like, 10 to 12 hours to unlock all the different classes, but it's still a bit of a shame, and I wish that I could keep my progression on the same different platforms. There are these battle mm -hmm. passes called campaigns, but right now they don't really go away. Uh, you can just kind of earn stuff for it, and whenever you want to buy it, you can buy it, and you'll get those exclusively just new cosmetics and weapon unlocks, skins and stuff like that. It's nothing that'll like change the game, and it's just stuff that will only increase probably your interest in the customization and stuff like that. Okay. And <laughs> my last nitpick is almost more of a good thing. Because I feel like a lot of games I get turned off by how quickly the matches are or like how long it can take to get into a new match after you're done with one old match. Like I've been playing Dead by Daylight recently. And that's a huge problem with that game where it just <laughs> takes so long to get from match to match. 
And that's the exact opposite problem in this game. In this game, it's like I did not have time to take a piss before that next match was starting. And that's like that's wild. It's a it's a blessing and a curse. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. you start if you hit play right now, maybe partially because it's on so many different platforms on like Game Pass and other things and it's all cross play. Like there's just always people playing. There's always a ton of people playing. And I think that's the reason why you'd want to pick up this game. Fundamentally, it's not that different from the original Chivalry. It's really not. It's mainly a visual and aesthetic upgrade and a place for people to actually play the game, you know, now that the old game is dead. So if you enjoyed the previous Chivalry and you've been thinking, maybe, I don't know if I want to give this new game a shot, it's a lot of the same thing you were probably playing before, but this game actually has active lobbies and there's a lot of people still playing it and it's fun. I really enjoyed it. Hell yeah. So this was a major saver for me. My cat is telling me that she loved it as well and... (laughs) I think that you should definitely give it a try just because I was not needing to play this game like at all this week. I've played it a lot before. I already pretty much knew what I was going to say about it. And I still played like 13 hours of it just on top of Hell yeah. everything else because I was just having fun and I just wanted to play it. And that's a sign that I had a great time. I love that. Yeah. Turn your brain off and chop some dudes off. Speaking of Saver, uh, I, I just wanted to hit this real quick because I realized we jump over it, even though I don't think it really needed to be explicitly said. My last game, Road 96, was definitely a Saver. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. I very much enjoyed it, and I I think that game will find a home also in probably, like, youth literature and youth media that, like, w- when games start receiving the same sort of... Uh, cultural importance as books have traditionally had this is the kind of game i could see being like uh on your your list of this is your your you know ninth grade homework assignment is to go home and play road 96 because it's very pertinent to youth culture and very pertinent to modern politics that like both of those are fantastic and it's such a great introduction to like if you have a young person play this game with them so that they can get involved and understand politics Absolutely. And sorry if I cut you off a little bit before you got to that. <laughs> it was good. I, you, you saw the segue and you took it and I didn't want to step on that because it was a good segue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can maybe switch it around if we need to. No worries. They can they can wait for the like 20 minute like on their edge of the seat to know that it was a saver. Even though <laughs> OK, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, fantastic game. Just like our next game, Disco Elysium, the final cut. <gasps> I've been looking forward to this one. You got to tell me about this one. I'm going to try to keep it short because I could talk about like I this is the kind of game that I would have written a paper on in college because like I could have <laughs> easily written several papers on this in college. There's so uh, much to talk about. So much. This is developed and published by Za'um Studios. Uh, that's Z-A slash U-M. I don't know how it's pronounced. I don't know if those are acronyms. It's Za'um. They also did no other games, but they now have an official clothing line based off of Disco Elysium, which is Buck Wild. This game will cost you $39.99 outside the bundle and is very positive. It's a choices matter, third person, murder, mystery, CRPG is what Bax helped me land on calling this because it's like a comp- it's like a tabletop role playing game where the computer does all the work for you. Uh, I, I made a certain note on this, though, because it plays like there, there, there's a certain style of this game that's separate from like your, your fallouts in this world where like they are role playing games that kind of play off that tabletop model with like stat based decision making and things like that. 
but this game specifically is, plays in the regard where like players don't necessarily have player agency in the things that happen whereas like fallout you can pull out your gun and shoot an npc to make that decision right there this game you can't make that decision you're confined to the prompts that it gives you and the options to use in those prompts and ultimately the dice decide the outcome of it there is no action that you can really take in this game that is going to determine something outside of what the dice roll determines for you so just a kind of note in that regard of how it differs from some of those other CRPGs. The game features a main mechanic of skill checks that are influenced by the gear you're wearing, the thoughts you have currently equipped, and your skill points in those areas. Uh, so there's five main stat tiers, uh, intelligence, physique, uh, like motor skills, um those kinds of like main you know your five main strength intelligence wisdom charisma kind of stats uh and each of those have like five subset stats where it's like your your interfacing your ability to lock pick your your physical strength your your uh intuition kind of things like that so each main skill has five sub skills and all of your checks are based on those sub skills and how many points you have in those and the dialogue like some dialogue checks increase your chance at certain checks and the tools you have in hand increase your chance at certain checks. And there's two kinds of checks in the game. White checks, which can be repeated, and red checks, which you can only attempt once. Uh, which is a pretty big distinction, because most red checks come in the middle of a dialogue thing. So there's no, like, whatever you have stats on hand are the stats you have on hand to make that check at that time. Uh, some of them you can come revisit, but most of them are like, this is in the middle of a dialogue tree, and I have to make this decision with a red check right now. Uh, every time you discover a new clue about a thing or level up your skills in the area, that's what allows you to repeat a white check. So if you had a white check that's like based on your physical strength, the next time you level up your physical strength, you can try that check again. Or if you like talk to someone and they go, yeah, if you lift with your back legs instead of your back, you're stronger. And then you can go redo. That's not a specific one that actually happens. That's just an off the cuff example. Then you can go redo that check with the new knowledge that lifting with your legs instead of your back is a better option. Uh, but what that means is your starting build is very, very important. And they do not tell you this at the start. They give you a loose idea of the skills and what they do. They do not inform you that the amount of points you can put into a skill directly correlates to your, your total stat in that skill. So in, if you, in your physical skill, you only put one point, like what one as your attribute then for all those sub five categories, you can put exactly one, you can level up those categories one time. So that Oof. means for all physical checks through the game, oh, you will get God. one reattempt at them. Basically. Oh. They don't tell you that you don't learn that until you fail your first skill and you go to like level up the skill to redo the check. So it can be very, very easy to accidentally lock yourself out of big portions of the game. I locked myself out of pretty much everything that requires physical checks uh, and a lot of like uh, sort of charisma based checks, too, because I was like, I'm going to make a cool character and go really RP and do like the like intuition stat and my and my uh, like motor stats really high and just drop my two other like communication and physical strength stats really low, which happened to be the two main areas that you need to do a bunch of checks on to progress and all the side stuff. So like I kind of locked myself out on a bunch of stuff because I was trying to like make a cool RP character that I didn't realize was going to fuck me over on half the story stuff really sucks. I mean, that is kind of the fun of that game though, right? Because then you get to re replay it again as a completely different style of character and then try to go for all those things that you missed the first time. 
Which is like, yes, but my two things about that are like, one, the it doesn't seem like the the choices you make influence the game enough. Like, the ending kind of ends the same way regardless of what you do throughout the game. Most of the game is played out through the same manner. It's just kind of like one-off interactions and some side quest stuff that you miss out on. So it's not really... It doesn't feel like I'm playing this game in a new explorative light. It feels like I'm playing this game again to complete something that I just couldn't do on my first playthrough because I made a bad character. Mm, so That doesn't feel great. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it ultimately is like, I mean, you can save scum it, but like with one point in a stat, you've only got a 3% chance anyway, so you're going to be re reloading Oof. a lot. <laughs> yeah, that sucks. Yeah. It, it felt bad. Uh, the thought cabinet, however, is really cool. It's a really cool feature that, like, during certain interactions, you can unlock a thought. Like, when I interacted with the, the openly homosexual character, I unlocked the thought, the homosexual underground, which I could spend, like, 20 hours in-game time thinking about the homosexual underground, and then I gained some stat bonuses based on the completion of the thought. Hell um, yeah. <laughs> which is really funny like there's there's a bunch of little things like that that like when you when you unlock certain dialogue they give you the thought and then the thought will influence your overall stats which give you some like better chances of succeeding or failing certain areas it's really cool and the narrative on all the thought cabinets are phenomenal they're very funny they're very engaging a lot of them are tongue-in-cheek the dialogue in general in this game is top-notch it is a an incredibly well-written video game like I, I have not, I don't think I've ever played a video game that is written as well as this game is. The writing in it is phenomenal. It is like, it is an example of like what good writing in video game can and should look like. It is, and it's all voice acted. All, every, every single bit of dialogue oh. in this game is voice acted. So you can just sit down and listen to it. The pacing on it can be god awful. This is fucking revolutionary <laughs> war times and god damn it. Everyone speaks as though they're in the Revolutionary War, and everything is a very, very deep, critical, well-thought-out <laughs> you got to sit there and listen to if you're going to listen to the dialogue. Like, whoo, they have some patience for thought in this game, and there's no, there's no variety between this. There's, like, no character goes from, like, I'm going to talk like this the whole time because I'm, like, an engaging, super quick-talking character. Like, they, they do not play with those dynamics at all. Every character is, like... It's the fucking <laughs> depression, and we're all so fucking depressed that we cannot even get the energy to speak more than one mile an hour. Well, one of the things that really interests me a lot about this game on in that vein is that it, it is like a Fallout type of game or like a D&D &D type game, but if you were to strip all of the combat and all that you have left is the dialogue, that's it. That is that is what this game is. It is dialogue and choice heavy. Like that's the intent of this game is like you are playing through this just engaging in the story, engaging in the narrative, engaging in the world, but that is like the game it fucking excels. There are a lot of games that try to force this on a player and do it very poorly and so it's just a boring game most of the time. This game excels in it. It is phenomenal. It's it's very well paced, it's very well written, it's very like the characters all have so much distinction and personality from the first little sh hoodlum you meet on the fucking street Kuno who's an annoying pain in the ass to like the union boss that you meet who's like maniacal and conniving and shitty to like the the business representative who is also maniacal and conniving and shitty but like in a different way like 
all of the characters have so much personality and so much charm. Every one of them feels unique and interesting. Like, it is an engaging game through and through, even though it has some of the most boring and unengaging gameplay ever. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that it's the writing that gives the gameplay its weight. Because yeah, the, the, absolutely. The, the gameplay is more about being in this world and being lost in the character and their choices and their actions rather than trying to, I don't know, create some world with like all the, I, I, every game is just combat. Every, every game nowadays is just fucking things you can fight and things you can kill. And this game is like, well, what if there was an entire world full of things you can talk to and interact with well, in a way that's not just the, killing like, them? To- to an extent, like, I think there are a lot of games that do that in a different way that it's like, this is still a puzzle game. Like, it's not combat, but I'm still mm. engaged in some sort of, like, active thought mechanic. This game does not have active thought as a game mechanic at all. There is, <laughs> you can play this game without having to think at all. It is literally just call and response. It is, here's some dialogue trees, you pick what to do with them. That's it. And then most of the time it is, how does the game randomly react to your choice? So, like, I I think that's the big distinction there is, like, there is no active thought mechanic in this game. That's really interesting, yeah. Is Yeah, it's really wild. Like, this game could really easily be, like, recorded and just watched, and it would feel like the same experience as playing it. The only thing you lose out on is not making the decisions yourself. Like... Mm. It's yeah, it's it's really interesting just like as a presentation of that, too, is like they do not. I I feel like this game does a good job of not like trying to engage the player because they know they don't have to. The player is going to be engaged from the just like in the same way that a person is engaged in reading a good book, because like a good book is a good book, even though the act of reading is a very boring and not really like interesting thing to engage in itself like reading a good book is still engaging and this game understands that and knows that and plays to that kind of idea but just giving you can it's a choose your own adventure book that has some pretty graphics like the ultimate choose your own adventure book practically with how much (laughs) choice they give you a lot of choice which is kind of like one thing this game does really good is that like the dialogue and narrative choices too also make it very clear when you're about to advance something so it, it sh- straight up tells you, like, this will precede dialogue. So you have, like, an option of, like, five things to choose from, but one of them specifically says, this is going to precede things. So you know as a player, cool, I should do these other things first if I want, like, the story or, like, the lore or the information or to, like, dig for more stuff. I, I'll do those first before clicking the thing that's going to advance stuff. Um which is really cool, too, because they sometimes punish you and sometimes reward you for just, like, seeking other dialogue. Sometimes it's like, oh, that conversation you had as a side conversation with that character pissed them off. And now your next check's a little harder because you made them mad by asking them that question that you didn't need to ask them. And then, like, there's other times where it's like, yeah, asking that thing was really smart and you got a little bit more information. So now your check's a little easier because they accidentally let something slip. So <laughs> it's really cool in that way, too, of, like, it finds ways to reward or punish the player for what is literally the most basic mechanic of every video game. And it's just like having conversations, dialogue, like it's weird finding a game that, that plays on that mechanic in a unique and interesting way that games aren't really like other games haven't really explored this option of how can I make conversation a more direct reward or like consequence for a player other than just like, here's your random chance 
dialogue part. Like it, it makes every conversation almost into an encounter, a la like D and D, like a fight. Like mm-hmm. like every conversation is like a a push and pull of things that you want and things that they need. That like I don't know. It's interesting. Which in the conversation of Ludo narrative and how it plays a role in the game, like it's a phenomenal example of like it turns the player into the detective. Like you start trying to big brain things because you're like, Mm -hmm. fuck, last time I talked to this character, they got really upset when I mentioned this one thing. So I could talk to them about this right now and get a little bit more information that might help me solve this murder. But it's probably going to piss them off and make this check that I have to do a little bit more difficult. So maybe I can do the check first and come back to that, but probably not because this seems situation dependent. So is getting that little bit of information worth possibly failing this? Like, it's really cool. It's a very engaging, like, Ludo narrative to the gameplay that that I don't think is really even that noticeable when you're playing through it at first without, like, actually analyzing it. <laughs> uh... Whew. All right. This is this is the meat of this game. I'm going to try to like not not get too much into this because I could get bogged down and fucking talk about this forever. Uh, the story's really straightforward, kind of. Uh, <laughs> <you're> a... <laughs> that, yeah. Oh, I, you know, kind Kingdom of. Hearts is really straightforward, kind of. <laughs> well, because it's very straightforward. You're a deadbeat cop that shows up to this city in the middle of nowhere to investigate a hanged man's body, like to investigate this murder. Very straightforward, super straightforward, but then they throw in this narrative twist of you wake up the next day and all your memories are gone. You've got retrograde amnesia and have no fucking clue what's going on. You don't know who you are. You don't know why you're here. You don't know any of the details of this investigation leading up to here. You're just totally, like, lost it. You went on a bender and lost all of your memory. Uh, which is really cool because it sets up the player in this like sort of role-playing capacity of I can play this character however I want, knowing their backstory but not necessarily needing to be influenced by it. But also I can be influenced by it if I choose to play like into the character's backstory and like build that role-play out as I go and learn more information about this character. Fantastic way of introducing like you are playing a pre-established character but we want you to kind of like play them as your own. It's a great way of doing that. I think that story trope was fantastic. Um... But it does add this sort of like mystery around everything that's like you're you're you find out you're a really great cop, actually, like one of the best in your divisions. But like you don't remember that you as a player don't really know how to be a great cop, which is great because then that that kind of plays into the aspect of like your roles and the randomness of it and your choices that like, oh, this isn't something a great cop would do. But I have amnesia and I'm not that same person anymore. Um, so it's, it's a lot of fun in that regard. And it really like, it turns what is a straightforward murder mystery story into like a, well, now there's the murder mystery. And also there's the mystery of my character that I'm trying to solve at the same time. So it's kind of straightforward. Um, the main sort of narrative crux of the game is the beef between the union and the parent company that owns the, the dock that the unions work at, um, that they're all employed at. There's like this whole, uh beef between the two the unions on strike right now which they're the fucking the strike demands are so great they want every worker to be a member of the board so they're fighting for equal share in the company as board members phenomenal phenomenal demands from a union and the company is like that's fucking batshit we're not gonna give 400 workers the right to decide what our company does (laughs) (laughs) that's so cool though i love that it's such a good good demand 
it's such a good demand and like it's so like it's to the point too where the union is like oh yeah we've completely shut down their operation here because like we're the workers and we know how this works and those fat cats that work corporate aren't going to come down here and take the dock back from us so we've just started doing the job ourselves like we've we've gone behind their backs and we're shipping out things by ourselves we basically established our own company that we're taking the money from using all of their equipment and if they don't meet our demands then they just don't have an organization here anymore and we own it god bless so God bless so unions. Good. <laughs> the the beef between the union and the parent company kind of become like the central point of the investigation. And like everyone in town is like, well, it's probably the union that did it. Cause like they're trying to send a message to the company. Cause this was one of their mercenaries they sent. Um, there's a lot of really good back and forth about the dichotomy between the union and the company and everything. Uh, and throughout the whole game, you're sort of presented with choices on, like, how big of a scumbag do you want to be? You can act like an asshole to everyone. You can be a shitty cop. You can be a sorry cop. You can be a superstar cop. You can be an art cop. I, I, this is dead ass. Like, this is the game mechanics. You can be these. This isn't just, like, <laughs> glorification. You can, you can talk about art a lot as a cop, and then you get the thought, uh, art cop, and now you're the art cop who understands art and has these high artistic ideals. Or you can become <laughs> the communist cop by talking about communism a lot. Or you can be the superstar cop by talking about how great you are a lot. Like, it is, it's really cool. Um, and it gives you the sort of dynamic of, like, how, do, how do I want to be as a law enforcement agent's agent in this world? Uh, it's not just kind of like you have to follow the rules you're playing by. And, you you know, you have a partner that's from a different district who, like, respects everything you're doing. Sometimes he calls you out, I made a real bad decision one time and my partner got pissed at me. Oh, yeah? He's like, dude, what the fuck? Yeah, there was like, okay. <laughs> so, little, little spoilers here. Um, there's There's a reoccurring theme. There's a lot of themes in this game about like depression, suicide, a lot of discussions about substance abuse. Like this is a game that takes place in, in about poverty, about impoverished people. So it talks about issues that, you know, people in poverty deal with. Uh, and one of the options I was given at one point in one of my failed white checks as a response to it was to like, try to, uh, you know, take back control of these people who I didn't have authority over anymore. And so I could ask for my partner's gun. And I was like, oh, fuck yeah. I don't have a gun. I'm going to ask for his gun. And so I asked for my partner's gun. You take the gun and put it into your mouth. <laughs> what? So, what? So the, because what? this was a failed check, right? This was a failed <laughs> check. So it's like my character does something incompetent as a response. So my, my, my action was to take my partner's gun and threaten to kill myself with it. Because these people didn't respect me. That's so cool. I can't believe and, that's an actual option. Yeah, oh, they repeatedly throughout the game let you several times threaten to kill yourself with a gun as like a, a meaningful response to things. If you don't um, do what I say, I'll kill myself. I'll do it. It's because you're the sorry, sad, depressed cop. So like... I guess that is one way to solve problems. Yeah. And so like immediately after the, the, the interaction, Kim pulls me aside and he goes, we need to talk about that. Like, it's the first time he's ever pulled me aside for anything I've done. He's like, we need to talk about that. Do not ever do that shit again. That was fucked up. You are sad. You need help. I will not give you my gun again if this is the behavior you're going to do with it. Like, <laughs> oh, that's cool. I love that. Yeah, it was very good. It was also very real. It was like such a raw response from a character who has not responded that way throughout the entire game before, which was like really interesting to see. 
you you get options to like you can do drugs and abuse substances like is your history as this cop uh but like and they give you bonuses so like drinking alcohol buffs your physique for a little bit or like uh taking acid bumps your like mental fortitude for a little bit um which allows you to like succeed in those checks and put more points in them but also you have the repercussions of like being a drunk cop on duty and your partner not necessarily being okay with that or that behavior and like people responding to you being drunk in a different regard especially because you just spent three days in this town drunk off your gourd being a complete asshole to everyone so (laughs) it's really good and like there's a lot of very good narrative in this game i do not want to get bogged down talking about it because like it's there's so much i could talk about there's so many great characters there's so many great interactions that like it's a narrative focused game and i mean like that is the game the narrative is the game it is it's a book that you play like it's phenomenal if you if you have really booky friends this might be a good way to get them into video games honestly especially if they like the sort of socioeconomic kind of conversations of the world because uh, <laughs> the themes in this game are wild <laughs> it is it is incredibly pertinent it talks about like this game takes a very very realistic look at capitalism and i don't mean that in like haha we're a bunch of commies and we got you we're talking about how bad capitalism is motherfuckers it, it it takes like a very real and honest and raw look at capitalism. It pulls a lot on like real world events and sort of draws parallels in this world they've created. Like there there there's allegories to climate change. There's allegories to like fucking colonialism and like colonization and and like the 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 downfall like the 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 benefits and negative impacts of revolutions and the necessity of revolutions in a capitalist society and like the the impact that capital has on impoverished cities and stuff like it it doesn't just like say capitalism is bad it says like this is an honest to god look at the system that we're using and we're going to t- we're going to spend some time critically thinking about it and critically thinking about what it does and how it impacts people and like the choices we make within this system and what that means and what that does and the way that like people in the past have been influenced by the system and impacted by it and like the way that it impacts and influences the future like it it does a very very good job critically thinking and not just being like capitalism is bad look at all the bad dead people because you're capitalism no it's like it's like capitalism saved this town but also it's kind of killing this town because like it it you can't have both like it, it it's it's it is it is inherently a negative thing that's happening to these people but also without it having happened these people would have been in a way worse position so it's kind of like it, it, it's it's really good for that and like they, there, there's a lot of talks about like the impact of rural areas and like how an impoverished area mm. feels the impacts of national policy and national like uh uh like like national global issues on a very small local scale right like it, it's talking about how like the 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 police aren't ever sent here because like, it, it's just kind of, like, considered the shitty little area that no cop... Like, the cops, the two precincts that, that reside over this district that you and your partner end up coming together to, like, work as, like, both of us sent our best and brightest to kind of, like, decide who gets this area now, for sure, after we were called here. The the two precincts have been in a, a dispute so long about whose territory this is that the cops just never show up because of the bureaucracy of who's going to police this area. 
that like they never get policed so the community has had to take that in their hands themselves so they've formed their own like community police that are like way worse than the police would have been but because there's no police these essentially like mafioso style gang members get to rule the town because they're the only people that are going to show up when you know your your friend was raped like that's like the literal pertinent issue in the game that's talked about so um it's it's wild and it does such a good job and and not only that like it talks about communism and it talks about the successes Mm. and downfalls of communism as well like it is very pertinent that like the the people that overthrew the original government here were communist it was a communist revolution that failed because the the globalist society stepped in and capitalism destroyed the communists on this island basically uh like the communists were successful in their overthrow and then the the it, it's literally it's the fucking u.s that's what it's talking about it's like the it's talking about a communist overthrow of a fascist government in a small remote area that then after the communists overthrow it the u.s step in and establish a presence and and take over basically um <laughs> it's it's that same allegory just like painted in this this narrative world that they're building it's very fun to like discover the metaphors yourself <clears throat> i have heard it said that a good piece of art is both sides of a good argument and I feel like that is what you're kind of describing in this game. And that's what this game really seems to excel at quite well, is examining both sides of issues and taking things from a more critical perspective, like you were mentioning. And not just like saying one thing is better than the other, but to actually look at these things in context and to see them in conversation with each other. Exactly, yes. And that like, it it, it's, it does such a good job at that. It does a very, very good job at like, having that conversation and, and like talking about like, well, what does it mean to even be a communist in a capitalist society? Is there, is there such a thing as being a communist? Like, can you be a communist when the global society around you is capitalist? And that's something the game kind of comes to a point to is that like, in in no short words, they kind of bring to the attention that like, that's kind of why a lot of communists are theorists and not Mm -hmm. like people that are practicing any sort of meaningful thing is because like, that is the most th- most you can do in a capitalist society is talk about the ideas, not actually practice them, because ultimately you're confined to the rules of capitalism. And if you're living amongst a capitalist society and the rules of capitalism, you can't practice communism. Um, and, and so, like, it does such a good job of, like, having that conversation and, and painting these topics of, like, well, why do people in these circles behave like this? And why do these people in these circles behave like this? And, like, one of the best characters you meet is this, like, laid-back union worker who, like, subscribes to the philosophy of communism. But he's like, look, I'm not a communist. I just, I'm, I'm, I try to do my best for the people around me. But, like, communism isn't, like, I, it's not, it's a bunch of, like, theoretical bullshit. And I'm just out here trying to live my life the best I can and, like, do the best by the people by me. And, mm. and like, there's a point where your character's like, that's, like, communism isn't it like (laughs) that's relatable but like yeah it's very relatable and it's like it does a lot of really good things like even to the point of like you are a cop and several times they call you out and they're like well you as a cop aren't like you can't be a communist you can't be a centrist like you are actively working for the people in charge like so therefore you are upholding their laws and everything so like that that means you are one of these members of their class of their society you're not a member of our society or yeah you're already a member of the status quo you're already part of that system of law and enforcement 
And, and there's so much great conversation about class in this game in that regard, too, of, like, the bourgeoisie and the ruling class and, like, how they have control over things and the systems and tools in place to control the working class to that regard and, and the dynamic between the working class and the ruling class and what that looks like and the difference between the petite bourgeoisie and the people that uphold the, the, the society for the bourgeoisie versus the people that are actually working class that are, like, trying their best to just survive. Like, there's phenomenal conversations about that it, it even like the union is a bunch of social democrats by very nature and so it like gets into the conversation of social democrats and like what that means to be in a capitalist society and what it looks like to be a social democrat and how like unions ultimately aren't necessarily anti-capitalist like a union exists within a capitalist society to uphold the structures of capitalism like they they are just a means of regulating capitalism within the working force in order to create equality there but it's still a tool of capitalism and so like it's very good in talking about those discussions and painting the characters in a way that has those meaningful like conversations through the character too like when you interact with the union boss you feel that you feel the like the backhanded scumminess of this idea of a character who is like, I am here as a representative of the community, as someone who is supposed to be doing the best for everyone around me, whose decisions will ultimately lead to a better life for these workers, to a better life for the community. But I'm doing very undermined, shitty stuff to the people around me in order to secure that position, in order to make things better, because that's the game the the scummy union boss has to play. Mm. Like, it's, it's a very it's nuanced, so nuanced game with a lot of it's a pers different perspectives kind very, of going in there. Very nuanced game with a lot of just different perspectives that like also has you make a lot of like very interesting decisions throughout the game that kind of you get to feel that impact you get to feel how your choices as a member choosing to actively uphold the interests of the bourgeoisie impacts this community or how your choices is choosing to go against the status quo and like maybe do make choices that you wouldn't normally do as a cop or in this position kind of influence or change this little city around you as you go it's really cool to see that sort of direct action and give the player the agency to make those choices and kind of shape the world and see the consequences and changes and uh, the, the discussion that comes from these other characters in making those choices. It's very good. One more thing I got to talk about in the game <laughs> story. Just like one last little bit. One is more the little fucking, thing. The fucking ending. Which oh, I'm so yes. I'm sad because I wish this ending was like regulated to the people who chose the kind of character stats that I had because I went really into like Inland Empire, which is like talking to inanimate objects and seeing the reality of the weird world around <laughs> you because I wanted a playthrough like that. By and large, didn't come into play at all. Like there, there's two main stats that come into play a lot throughout the game for the major choices and all the cool stats that are like, I want to see what weird shit this does in the game. Mostly didn't do anything other than for some like minor dialogue checks every once in a while, which sucked and felt bad. Uh, and the end of the game, major spoilers here. Um, so, and, and if you want to, I don't know if you want to take off your headset for this. I, I'll I don't listen. Know how I'll be all fine. Right. <laughs> I'll live. The end of the game, you meet a phasmid, which is like a cryptid in this world, uh, which is like, because like there's a whole side quest where you're helping these cryptid hunters try to find this phasmid, uh, and you don't find it, and then you get to the end of the game, you find out who the murderer is, and then you find the phasmid hanging out next to them. 
Uh, and so you get to like have this conversation with the phasmid and like find out what it's all about and find out that it's like producing a, a like noxious chemical that causes the people around it to hallucinate that it's not there, which is how it avoids being detected, oh, which wow. is also kind of what drove the person mad to kill the guy. Um, oh. Which is really wild because like it undermines the whole game in such a meaningful way, which is weird to say because like an ending that undermines the whole game isn't necessarily usually seen as a good thing. But this game, because of the conversations and the topics it's talking about the whole time, does such a good job because like the whole game, right? It's talking about the past and the future of this little society, the impacts of war on it. Some people are like hella stuck in the past. Some people are like moving on and just want to see the like change and grow as a community. Uh, and, like, ultimately, the person who did the murder is, like, a hermit that's left over from the Revolutionary War, who's just, like, murdering people who are, like, shitty people that are, like, a part of, like, the bourgeoisie that keeps showing up in the town, uh, which is why he murdered the, the mercenaries that were sent by the Union, because, or the, the company to interrupt the Union's business. <laughs> the Pinkertons, uh, if you will. The, yeah, they were, they were Pinkertons, exactly, 100%. They were, like, Union-busting Pinkertons, yeah. uh, except they were, like, trained mercenaries that were, like, sent to Uganda to kill people <laughs> at one point in time in their lives, basically. Oh. Like, they, they're hardcore Pinkertons. <laughs> uh, and so, like, that guy killed these people, and so, but, like, then they introduce this element of, like, well, the guy had justification. He gives you his reasoning why, like, and it's very solid and laid out, but then they introduce this element of, of, uh, it's a very direct way of, of introducing the idea that this guy isn't his decisions, it, he isn't his beliefs, he is the direct product of the environment around him. Like, this dude did these things, not necessarily because he's a shitty person, he's a shitty person, so that's why he did these things, but also because the, the environment around him was directly influencing his mind mm. to make him do shitty things, which is, like, such a cool, interesting layer to throw on right at the end of, like, you think you have this all figured out, you think you have these people in this town figured out, you think you have this world figured out, but then we're gonna introduce this completely natural, completely batshit idea at the end that is, like, but you don't, because you don't know everything about the environment around these people. And we're going to give you one last meaningful look at that, that, like, mm. you don't know it all. You don't know how the world is in in impacting these people. You don't genuinely know if this is a good or bad guy, if it's just the phasmid that made him do bad things, or if he's a bad guy at his heart, because you don't, like, you don't know this environment. And unless you spend every waking hour of your life understanding the environment around these people that is causing them to behave these ways that if you don't understand the larger system at play that like you won't know because like you don't get it you're just some fucking cop who showed up damn <laughs> huh that's that's a really cool ending i like that it's it's so good. It's like, it's so weird. It doesn't entirely ruin the game for me either. Like, I still want to go through and play the game to get to that point to see how it upends everything. That's cool. Plus, you gotta see the billionaire made of light in a shipping container. Fuck yeah! <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. There's an... <laughs> what? <laughs> this game is not afraid to be a little silly, too. I love it. I didn't even touch on the pale. That's a whole other cool shit to explore in this game that like get into there there's a lot in this game of narrative two and world building. It's great. Like play this game. It's phenomenal. <laughs> My only nitpicks, and I'm gonna hit these real quick because we're past two right. hours. Quick nitpicks. 
In my defense, you talked a lot this episode too. I did. I talked a lot. I'm going to be getting rid of a lot of it. If, if I'm yeah, ready. you can cut a lot of my <laughs> stuff too. You can always cut my stuff. Don't be afraid, dude. Uh, the clothing management sucks ass in this game. It's such a central and core element of the gameplay that fucking sucks. It's so bad. It's completely artificial. It adds so much longevity to the game that's completely unnecessary because what happens is you can equip clothes to change your stats. So, like, there's some clothes that's plus logic, some that's plus encyclopedia. So when you do your checks, you get those bonuses. Uh, but you can't change your gear while you're in a conversation menu. So if you're talking to someone and a check comes up, there's always an option to just end the conversation. So you end the conversation, equip the gear, then have to go back through all of the dialogue trees uh. again just to get to that check so that you can do it with the gear on. Either just give me the bonuses permanently or, like, let me change my gear when I'm there in the check so I'm not just, like, leaving and then coming back and skipping through dialogue, like... Because it's awkward either way. Like, whether you're yeah. you're stopping the conversation to change your clothes and then starting over from the very beginning, or you are... <laughs> I just completely lost my train of thought because of the fucking text message. But there's something that's like, this is a 48% chance, and I know I'd be at, like, a 79, which is a huge difference if I just equip my gear really quick. So it's like, I don't want to do the check and then have to try to level up to do the check again. I just want to back out of the conversation, equip the gear, and do the check. And it's just so tedious right. to manage that. It, yeah. Uh, the stat, stat system, I already talked about that. It feels bad. It's a pain in the ass. Like, I could only put one point in physical through my whole game, which means, like, three side quests were completely gated off. It's very easy to accidentally just block off whole sections of this game. Just play with one of the default character stats, unless you're d doing something cool in RP, but, like, don't do that until you've played through it once, I'd say, because, like... I, I felt bad. A lot of the options in some regard for your character to like, there weren't very many options for your character to use the other skills. So it's like, I had Inland Empire, but like, I couldn't talk to my gun to make my shots better to do something cool like that, even though that gave me the ability to talk to inanimate objects. My shot was still just hand-eye coordination regardless. So it's like, Well, it I guess sucks. you could argue that like, what is the ability to talk to inanimate objects anyway, besides something <laughs> that is going on exclusively in your own head? <laughs> but yes, but that's but that's the, that's what felt bad is that like there are five I think five ten fifteen twenty twenty stats I believe in this game and by and large probably three or four of them had major gameplay impact where all the others were just like oh I got some mm. quippy dialogue I wouldn't have otherwise heard whereas like it would have been cool to see more dynamic dynamicness in those choices of like oh I can use intimidation or charisma for this check or I can use inland empire or deception you know like I have more options in my abilities to do something here but you just don't have that. So like the useless skills are kind of useless. And if you don't put your points in the important ones, then you just miss out on progression and just get some interesting dialogue instead. Uh, and the randomization is really weird in this game. The one big thing I have to note is that like, I just don't understand how this system worked because there was a visual system tied to it with dice rolls, right? So two dice would roll and you would see the results of your two dice. I had a fucking check that was a 47% chance to succeed and rolled a 5 and a 6, the second best number you could roll. The assumption would be with a 47% chance to succeed, a 5 and a 6 is a success. It was not. 
I failed, which means the only way I could succeed that check was with a 6 out of 6, but a 6 out of 6 is not a 47% chance to be rolled, and also a 6 out of 6 already guarantees a success based on the info that it gives you, so that means my chance to succeed on a 47% was the exact same chance to succeed as if I rolled a 6 out of 6, which is not 47%, so I don't understand if the dice show that it shows are just completely arbitrary, or if they actually have some sort of meaning, but they don't tie into the meaning of what you're it, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand. <laughs> I feel like I'm losing my mind just listening to you. I felt like I was, because it was a specific spot that I was trying to save scum, because I was like, 47% chance, surely I'll get this real easy. And I did it like f 50 times trying to get this. Did not get it at uh. all. Several times I rolled a 5 and a 6, and it did not progress me. It was a failure still. So I was like, fuck, the only way to succeed this is with a 6 out of 6, a uh, 6 and a 6, but that is not 47% chance. Like... Oof. So, Oof. weird, weird. I do not understand how the randomization was actually done. It didn't seem like the dice tied into the success. I feel like they were just there as a visual for the player to be like, ah, I succeeded. Or if it's just like, you have a 47% chance to roll a six out of six on this. Like, I I don't know. It felt arbitrary. I didn't get it. it the randomness was very random. It, it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this was a saver for sure. Everyone should play this game. It's fantastic. I really want to play through it again with a different build, making some major, different, like, major choices. Uh, but my ADHD probably won't let me. It does not seem like the ending or any major beats are impacted too much by your choices. There's a couple that are, like, the shootout and stuff that, like, will probably have some big impacts. Um, but ultimately the ending of the game seems very linear regardless of what you chose. You just kind of get, like, a slightly altered dialogue at the end. Um, but... It'd be cool to see some of, like, key interactions in a different light and go back to visit some of, like, interesting things I missed out on in some of the side quests because it's a very engaging world. It's a very, very engaging world. And I want to see them do more with this world because the world building is phenomenal and they could expand this out into, like, a dozen different games. It's it's so good. It's very in-depth. Uh, it, it feels very... It's very good and very, very relevant to today's politics. It feels like playing... Like, engaging in real solid political literature. Like, I, I feel the same way playing this game as I do feel like reading Marxist literature. Like, in that same regard that this is honest-to-God critical, like, thinking and honest critique of, of socioeconomic systems in play in the real world. It's phenomenal. It's really, really deep. <laughs> it I, it should absolutely be required reading for anyone, I think, especially if you are of voting age and impacted by global and major politics, like, which Sorry. is everyone in Most this world. Most people, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, especially if, like, you're just getting into your foray of politics, like, this is a very good deep dive after playing the sort of uh, baby's first introduction to politics of Route 96. Like, you could play them back to back and be like, hey, that introduced me to the concepts that I'm exploring way more in depth in this game. Really good to play back to back in that regard. Uh, yeah, it's, and even if you're not, like, super interested in politics, it's a really great murder mystery. Like, the actual narrative of the game, too, outside of the, like, thematic and sociopolitical, like, discourse, phenomenal. It's just a good story. It's well-written. The characters are great. Like, this is, is good. Everyone should play this game. <laughs> so would you say that it was your game of the week? I would say it's my game of the week. It is the most fun, boring game I've ever played. Well, I guess that's easy to say. I kind of, I guess once you've talked about it that much, it's kind of hard to argue for anything else. Uh, <laughs> but I really enjoyed Chivalry too. I I think that game is just 
a ton of fun and i still cannot wait to get back into that game and chop some more dudes heads off hell yeah uh, this week's charity, or this month's charity, was Trees, Water, and People. That's the name of the charity, not just some random nouns I'm listing off. <laughs> Our mi- <they're- laughs> just to see, uh, uh, and also I want to thank Trees, Water, and People. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, their mission is to improve people's lives by helping communities protect, conserve, man- and manage their natural resources upon which their long-term well-being depends. They do a lot. They do a lot of, like... N- political activism and like uh climate change stuff and and housing and food stuff and it's a lot they do a lot they do trees water and people hell yeah what else are you playing yeah i've been doing a lot myself uh i have recently tried out like i really like asynchronous multiplayer games games where like you know, different Same. goals for some people as for others and so i've been playing a lot of dead by daylight and texas chainsaw massacre uh those games are really interesting i I played a lot of dead by daylight and so that's the one that i've been playing more of but texas chainsaw massacre just came out it's a lot different because dead by daylight has this playing it yeah it's it's dead by daylight's very formulaic formulaic you always have to fix the generators in order to get out whereas texas chainsaw is a little refreshing in that it's way more like a game of hide and seek where it's like a team of three uh killers and five escapees all running around trying to the escapees are just trying to leave the house that's it and everybody else is just trying to like lock the doors make traps and like prevent them from leaving and there's way less gamey elements to like help people find the survivors it's a lot more about like using the environment to blend in and survive and like hide and stuff like uh what was the what was the one the Friday the 13th? It's it? very similar to Friday the 13th. It's very got a very similar vibe. Uh just a different sort of a little little bit of a shake up in terms of like how how it's played and the rules and stuff. I don't know how much what of legs it's got, are you but that on? Oh, it's it's on Game Pass. So I've been playing it on Xbox. El El Frio on Game Passo? El Frio on Game Passo, folks. <sighs> oh shit, that's why everyone's playing it. <laughs> yeah. That's how it has anybody playing it whatsoever. I feel like if Friday the 13th also was out on Game Pass, it would have really helped the community for it. I feel like if you're going to do a new release on a game like this style, you kind of have to do it that way now. You have to give it to everyone to free, for free to start, if not free always. Cause that like, way you have just like a, a constant community of people playing the game. Because otherwise, yeah. like Dead by Daylight has so many characters and extra things added to it at this point. It is a monster of a video game. And in comparison, you've got, like, six killers and six survivors, and that's it. Yeah, you've got to find a way to get the community invested in your game, and letting them play it for free is a fantastic way of doing that. Yeah, but it is a, it is a really interesting take on the asynchronous multiplayer, and uh, I have been really enjoying it. it. I will say it's a little... Payday 3 is coming to Game Pass? Yes, it I is. don't have to buy that? Yeah, a lot of a lot of games like that are coming to Game Pass, so uh, you know, oh, it's a way to save some. Oh, and Liza P. I didn't realize that one was going to be Game Pass. Yeah, I kind of want to buy that one separate though. <laughs> I probably will after I play it on Game Pass for free. Uh, what else was I going to say? I I beat Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, I'm officially in like the post game of that now. Uh, hey. I'm not really focusing too much on it now that I've I've gotten through the main story but I really really enjoyed that game. That was a fantastic video game. Uh I started playing EDF Earth Defense Force. You ever heard of this game? Earth uh, Defense Force, yeah. 
Yeah, I, ne- I mean, I've heard of it, but I never really played it before. It's a game about uh, insects invading Earth, and it's brainless and the most fun that you'll have. <laughs> like, it is you know, so, said... so so <laughs> insane and stupid. I said yes so confidently that I've heard of this game before, but I've heard of it from you, so it's not like... <laughs> <laughs> so you have heard of it, but only I from me. That after I said that, I was like, wait a second, you're the person, you and Fubar. <laughs> yeah, that game is, is it's it's uh, like also like very B-movie-esque where the dialogue is super goofy and it, it's like, sounds like almost like like a Japanese person is like recording it all in like an American accent almost, like... It's it's just goofy. It's goofy as hell, and I love it. I every time I've heard it talked about, it makes me think of uh, Hell Divers. Yeah, yeah, somewhat similar. Uh, then I I did also briefly play uh, a game called Y Two K. I lovingly abbreviate it to Yik. just Yik. Uh, I love that love that game. Hesitantly, <laughs> it's a good, it's... it is it is a game that I enjoy hating on i think <laughs> i i it is I, to those who may not be familiar <laughs> it is self-advertised as a postmodern rpg so yeah it it has a lot of problems with it and those problems make it more interesting to me i find it to be almost like the room levels of fascinatingly bad and <laughs> i i really think that if, you, if you're a fan of rpgs and video games and and, and you want to see one that's like hilarious bad like this is a good one to, to to seek out for that uh hell yeah and finally very recently on the 18th uh bomb rush cyberpunk came out and i instantly bought it instantly played it and got to the very end and i love this game if you're a fan of jet set radio uh it has some of the same uh, composers hideki naganuma made a lot of songs for the original jet set and he's made making songs for this game as well there's a bunch of other independent artists that are also putting really amazing music into this game. Uh, it's like a BMX, uh, skateboarding, rollerblading game where you have a rocket jetpack and it is insane and fun. It It's sort of like Tony Hawk, but taking away a lot of the skill check elements and focusing more so on chaining together scores and like combining all of the different like interactable features in a level in order to get like a high score. Uh and there's also like a graffiti element of trying to access all of the different like areas of the level. It's like a 3D platformer that like opens itself up to you as you play. It's just so much fun. I I really really enjoy that game. And if you have any interest that... in 3D platformers, give it a try. The vibe of that kind of makes me think of Toxic Grind over like Tony Hawk yeah yeah it's got got a little bit more of that vibe i mean it's it's very jet set radio like yeah it almost feels like a spiritual sequel i know that it's not and it's doing its own thing but it's hard not to look at it and feel like it came right out of the dreamcast era and it hell yeah really hits so hard in all of the right ways please check out bomb rush cyberpunk that game is great i've been playing returnal which is phenomenal i don't know if you that's a good one I've played a little very, bit of that. Very good. Oh, I was immediately hooked. I fucking grinded through that in like a week. It's one of the really few games, <laughs> few games to play on PS5. Now PC <laughs> yeah. though. <laughs> PC now too though. Yep. It's it's really good. It's got a very good roguelike loop. It's got very good gunplay, like very very good gunplay. An active reload system, which I've only ever seen Gears of War do, other than this game, which is super good. Like, 
super good, really good story. They've even got a PT house in the game, like, fucking great. <laughs> uh, and some Baldur's Gate 3, of course, because it's Baldur's Gate 3, and I like to play games that don't let me play them because I only roll ones. <laughs> <laughs> That's just your favorite genre of game, apparently, now. So my favorite genre of I don't get to make decisions, only the dice decide for me. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's seriously, Larian Studios, phenomenal game. I love that everyone is like, this is the best game ever. Baldur's Gate 3 is so good. And it's like, bitch, have you played Divinity Original Sin 2? Way better <laughs> game than Baldur's Gate. Way w Once people get onto that after this, they're going to fucking minds are going to be blown when they realize they're playing a system developed for a video game instead of a tabletop. And all the randomization of the fucking divinity is done way way better than it is done in D, &D on a video game it's gonna be so good it's, yeah. but Baldur's gate's great if you like divinity it's right up the same alley if you like dungeons and dragons it's you'll love it like it plays like tabletop dungeons and dragons in a video game which is buck wild that is buck wild uh, and then i got my play date in yesterday and I've been obsessed with it for the day that I've had it in. It's just a cute little handheld console with a little hand crank on the side that interfaces with the games. It's very cute. It's very charming. I only have two games on it right now, but I played them both, and they're very fun. And I can't wait to see what else it gets released for it. And I'm probably going to develop some games for it. And also, they have a planner on it. It's such a wild little console. I've never seen anything like this before. It's like, so it wild. It's like the size of my wallet but like more powerful than a game boy it's and it has a weird game... little crank on the side like <laughs> the crank is so much fun it's such a novelty mechanic for a video game system that like can be integrated in so many ways though that i'm very excited to see how developers do it it's really good the developers were just like they're like a small company that were basically just like we miss having a handheld console like game boys that were like fun and just charming and silly and so we made our own and it's really high quality it's really well made like i'm excited to see what gets developed for it even though it'll probably be like a niche product that isn't really like super popular or anything i'm sure there's a lot of developers that are constantly talking about like yeah it's kind of like when i get bored of developing or stuck i just kind of like make a play date game now because it's really easy to do and really fun and just like really chill so like i'm sure there's gonna be some really cool stuff that comes out of it yeah, it's a really that... long wait time to get it, though. I ordered this, like, two years ago. <laughs> Damn, really? You only just yeah. now got it? Fuck. Yeah, they were very behind. They, like, they were hella backordered. Well, I am now a, 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 a head floating in the darkness because we started recording when there was light out, and now there is no <laughs> light out whatsoever. <laughs> it wasn't that long. It's two hours. I feel like it's just a little bit longer than what we normally it's like do. two and a half hours. It was, two like, and a, half a good hours. amount. Yeah. 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 But also, there's like 10 minutes of me freaking out about my recording, too. That is true. I'll be able to get out a good amount of that. <laughs> but anyway, but it's yeah. been real, y'all. It's been real. You need to play Disco Elysium so you can see the hardcore guy, because I want to integrate that into my vocabulary, but not enough people know it, so I can't just be like, hardcore! 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 <laughs> well, it's on my Steam Deck, so I'll make sure to give it a try. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Bye! Uh, yeah, see you on Twitch or something. Bye! <laughs>
guess we know why, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago, David shaded me for never playing the hard games and always playing the easy ones. And now we know why, because when I play a game with a lot of depth, I'll just fucking talk about it for like an hour and David will just be like, here's what you need to know. Bye. 